Welcome back to Making It So. This is our episode number 11, the season retrospective for Picard season 3. I'm your Captain Craig, and here's my number one, Maddie. What's going on, mate? Ridiculous. Come on, man. Stupid. How dare you? Don't chat back to your captain, buddy. How dare you? <laughs> As if I'd be your number one. You wouldn't be. I mean, fair, fair. You are, you are the, you are the captain of. If this podcast is a ship, you are the captain. I'm. If anything, I'm. I'm the visiting admiral Picard in this situation. I'm. I'm here. I'm here to perform an inspection, and you are sure cracking the shits. Oh, am I really sure? Like, do you want to hurt me that much? I mean, hey, episode three. If I'd called you sure, you would have called that the biggest compliment ever. Oh, no, I wouldn't have. Well, no yeah, okay. way. No way. All right. Anyway, so obviously Maddie and I have sat down and we've watched all of season three. Rewatched. Yeah, well, we've rewatched it. Mm. We've done our podcast throughout the whole season. But before we go any further, I guess, I guess we should. If you haven't watched or listened to all of our other podcasts and watched all all of this season, that's there are spoilers incoming. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about everything. No yeah. holds barred. Just. Go back, mm. rewatch the episodes, come back and listen to this. You know, I know it's been what three weeks since we recorded our last episode. Not that anyone's counting. Now, originally, it was supposed to be two, but it yeah. was not. Things happen. We <laughs> said a couple. I didn't realize we were speaking specifically about a couple. Couples too. I know. Yeah, we, we didn't say a thruple of weeks. That's <laughs> thruple is a very different thing. Thru, a thruple of weeks is. Taking a sexual uh, yeah, innuendo into this thing. That took this it a little is, bit too far, yeah, didn't no, it? Yeah, no, let's not. Anyway. Not when it's just you, me, and your dog here. That's weird. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> He's outside. <laughs> anyway, overall, mm. like, what did I think of this season? Yeah, well, now, now that we've, we've watched it all week by week, now we've gone back knowing how it ends, gone back and watched it all from the start. Does it hold up? How does it all? How does it all wrap up in a bundle? For me, it still holds up. There are a few little missteps here and there, but I think you get that with every TV series. Like mm. even your beloved Voyager, like you can you know look at each season of Voyager and you can be like, yeah, all right, there was missteps here. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the difference being old school Trek was because it was episodic. It's like if one episode was crap. Like if you had to sit through threshold, it had it had no bearing on the rest of the series. Yeah, let alone the season. So it was like, okay, we can forget that one existed because it everything resets to zero again by the start of the following episode. I think DS Nine um, sort of more like it'd be the most similar in some of the seasons yeah. to this. Yeah, because obviously R. Stephen Bear wanted to do more long form storytelling, mm. um, and it was the studio and and Berman pushed back going, no, no, we do episodic television here at Star Trek, so. Thanks. I, I think I think DS9 was more successful in terms of a long-form storytelling, but I also acknowledge the fact that they had seven seasons to do it. <laughs> they had a long a long arc and it was They had, what, more 26 episodes per season as well, didn't they? Yeah, and had a lot more time to plan it, whereas obviously this was a very, in a lot of ways, sort of haphazard, slapped together, done at the same time as season two, you know, new showrunner, half taking over, half, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think... Overall, I think it was good, but obviously because it started in a really, really bad place with season um, one, with season and two. one and two, yeah. with season one and two. Um, so I think, as far as if you compare it to seasons one and two, it's an absolute success. Oh, 
Absolute success. Like th- this to me was like watching what an eight-hour movie, basically. Mm, yeah. Like yeah. You know, so overall, I thought you know it had a good mix of emotion, exciting times, fun journey, and just an excellent mix of new TNG uh, characters and like TNG era characters and the new characters. The yeah. New, the new next generation. Yeah. In, in the same way, you look at you know um, we got next generation, and then when you know next generation had DeForest Kelly come and kind of put his stamp of approval on the series on that first episode. Yeah. And then, you know, later on you get Spock, you get, get Scotty. Scotty, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're introduced to all these characters. It's great. Then, you know, DS9, they they just, you know, pulled O'Brien out, chucked him on Deep Space Nine. You know, we Then had, we pulled Worf out. <laughs> yeah, pulled Worf out, chucked him in there. We had those great scenes of Picard on DS9. Well, you know, Cisco being called to the Enterprises, you know, conference room, them having the, everything kind of rolled on and, and it felt natural. And then seeing Voyager leave from DS9 made it all feel connected and, and interwoven. So I think season three successfully did that in the way it's, we had old characters, but then, yeah, we get the new characters of, of Sydney um, and then bringing in Seven and Raffi. And, you know, it's, it's a great mixture of old and new characters and, and seeing their progression mm-hmm. over, over a certain length of time, I think is really, really good. So it, it felt the most connected to um, all the stuff that's come before. Yeah, one of the things that I really, really, really loved about this season was just the character growth that we got to see. Mm. Between, like, especially for Seven. Yeah. Like, she, like, at the beginning of the season, she looked very broken and downtrodden. Mm. And by the end of it, she was that confident captain that, you know, she deserved to be. Yeah. And I, and I think her growth through all three seasons, I think, was good. Sort of where you find oh, her it in, really was, yeah. in season one. You know, I, and it's hard because it's like season one and two help her reach where she is in season three. Definitely. But then it's like I hate having to go back and watch seeing Echeb getting murdered and all those sort of things. I'm just like, oh, I kind of hate that all that horrible stuff does inform the really, really good entertaining stuff. Like, it's really hard. I don't dislike season one as two as much as what you do. Mm. There are definitely parts of season one and two that I dislike. Yeah. But for me, there is much more in season three to like than the first two seasons. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot less to dislike as well. Yeah, yeah. third season. Like, I feel, as far as season one is concerned, I only ever go back and watch Nepenthe. I've watched, yeah. rewatched that a few times. And... I fast forward through a lot of the the stuff on the <laughs> on the cube, um, and I I think I have to be in the right mood for that first seven of nine episode where uh, what's it called the Ragdoll City something or other where like yeah, Picard has the beret yeah. and the eye patch and the accent yep. and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot, but if you're in the right mood for it, I think that can be fun. Um, season two, I watched the first two episodes and then I'm kind of done. Which ironically, those two episodes were written by Terry Metalis. Yeah. So he was he was brought on for season two and wrote a bit and did a bit a few pieces while Akiva Goldsman and Michael Chabon were sort of handing him the reins. Um, so, yeah, so I find it kind of interesting that, yeah, the, the two episodes of season two that I really like are the ones that Terry wrote, um, yeah. episode one and two, and then it kind of falls apart for me. But the funny thing is that I did some – I looked into it. It's the exact same writing team. So everybody, all the writers that were on season two. Terry is the difference. Well, no, he was there as well. But he wasn't the showrunner. No, he had to answer to Michael Chabon and um, Akiva Goldsman. Um, And they were the ones that were kind of passing the torch over to him so they could go and work on um, Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. 
But all the other writers on the show that wrote all the other episodes, all the same through season two and season three. So it really goes to show you what what difference it can make, you know, when you've got someone who, who gets it a little bit more and, and has a different, I guess, approach to the way they want to they want to do something. Um, Cause yeah, while not perfect. Um, yeah. It was definitely a, a marked improvement uh, to me. It, I, I still don't think it, it hits the level of nineties and two thousands Star Trek. Um, but it doesn't, I think it was the best Star Trek since first contact. I mean, I liked insurrection. I, I quite liked insurrection. Oh, I, um, don't get me wrong. I liked insurrection as well, but mm. I think this was that little, step above it yeah that's that's fair i know insurrection is yeah it's a very sort of a lot it can of people be love it, hate it. Yeah. yeah um yeah i think i think it's probably the best i've seen since kind of like the voyager finale like everything end game was a good episode yeah like i'm i you were a fan of enterprise i wasn't um there was a few episodes here and there yeah. but very few. Like, there's maybe five or six episodes of Enterprise that I'll happily sort of sit down and rewatch. Oh, there was one episode um, in uh, season seven, which I just of Voyager, which I was just like, where Chakotay and uh, Seven got together for that bit, and yeah. that, I was like, that just come out of left field, and I didn't like that. Yeah, that was very much out of nowhere. Um, yeah, so I, I always come back to my phrase, which is like, is the juice worth the squeeze? So I think I think with season three in the end it was worth it. Just Definitely. just for the, 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 the fun stuff. But I do wanna I do wanna jump in a nitpick corner at some point and just uh, run through some episodes and um, just point out a few little a few little things that I'm like if if they'd planned it a little bit better or maybe it's just if they'd had more time to plan it out a little bit better, um, they could have sort of just closed a little of these um, a few of these little plot holes. But um, I would like to jump through those at some point. Well, I know normally we would get into a little bit of news at the beginning of the podcast, which mm. we spoke about before we started it and we completely skipped it. <laughs> so I'll just mention a couple of little things. So so Patrick Stewart has got an autobiography coming out. Mm-hmm. It is called Making It So. TM, TM, TM. Like I'm almost <laughs> expecting a cease and desist to come to us. But guess what? We started this before hey, this book came out. I guess it means we're in good company. It means <laughs> we, we're on the right track. We, Pat, we named it well. Pat, come on the show. Yeah. I like, mean. This is an open invitation. Yeah. Plug making it so on making it so. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's a big fan push for Star Trek Legacy mm. as well. Um, there's a there's a whole heap of signatures that are being sent into Paramount. Yeah, and that's how Strange New Worlds got yeah. made. See, if if I'd been better prepared, this is where I would. And if you know, it was the Get It to Gate podcast where I've you know I can play my own audio. This is where I'd play the audio of Patrick Stewart from or oh, Picard from Episode One, going, um, "I'm not a man who needs a legacy." <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. But man, like I overall loved this season. So like, I'd like to talk about some of the characters from this season, mm. like. Vatic. I liked her as a character, Amanda Plummer. Right, her acting, superb. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I cannot knock a single performance in this in this series. I think it's the the writing. This is where Maddie's nitpicking and the direction that, <laughs> that brought it down for me. I think, yeah, I think Vatic could have been a better character, um, but I think yeah, Amanda Plummer did Fent just phenomenally with what she was given. I think is is where I land. I just think what everybody was given could have been a little more polished, but I can't knock 
any of the performances. Yeah, we only had, what, eight hours of TV, eight and a half hours. Mm. Jack Crusher, so Ed Spillers. For, you know, I guess one of the younger characters in the entire... Not not as young as he well, yeah. not as young as he should be no. slash could be. Yeah, he's what thirty know? something. So yeah, yeah, you know they could have they could have changed things around it, there. A little he, bit, he was but a good, I, he was a good actor. I enjoyed his performance. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, Alandra LaForge, so Mika Burton. I'm looking forward to seeing more of her in future Star Trek. Hopefully, yeah, I would have liked her to be given a little bit more. She didn't get a. a she lot. didn't get as much as Sydney. So Ashley mm. Sharp Chestnut. Yeah. So I, I think those like because I watched a. YouTube video and listen to another podcast with both of those girls in it. And yes, they're not real life sisters. They play sisters on the TV, but they still went like, so Sydney, so Ashley Sharp Chestnut, she went around the LaForge, a correction, the Burton household (laughs) for, um, what's that holiday they have at the end of the year before Christmas? Uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And they act like actual sisters. Yeah, they've got they've got they've fantastic got a, chemistry. Yeah, they, they got had a great really vibe. Good, that's I think that's why I wanted a little bit more of um, Ala Alandra. Alandra. Yeah, I would have liked a little bit more of her. I know this is this is like her first acting gig or something, though, isn't it? She, uh, I'm very, not sure. So I understand them. Just you know, there's only so many minutes of TV that they can make. So you know, there might have been a lot of her stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Who knows? But um, of what I saw of those two, I think, yeah, I, w- I would love to see more of them. Mm-hmm. I think it would be hard to have them, like, serving on the same ship together. Might be a little odd. Um, but, I mean, Voyager had those fucking stupid twins. They had those, those the... Um, oh, God. Well, we had... Um, I'm going to forget their names now. We, we, we definitely had... Uh, was it Beverly Crusher and Wesley Crusher on the Enterprise D? So, yeah, all family. Yeah, but I guess it's, I think... Oh, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Wharf and Alexander on the same ship for a while. Yeah, but I'm just thinking like having two Ensign LaForges, I think would be weird. Like, obviously, you know, mother and son had different ranks. So that's. Well, Sydney's a lieutenant now, isn't Yeah, she? that's what I'm just saying. <laughs> I wonder if Alandra got uh, Probably. a promotion as well. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, Captain. I'm still trying to think of the twins. I'm still in my head trying to think of the, the twin sisters you'll, you'll get from there. Voyager. Um, Cap- the Delaney, twi- the oh, Delaney yes. sisters. Yes. The Delaney sisters, you know, and they were twins. So yeah, um, it's possible. Captain Liam Shaw, Todd Stashwick, you know, as much as the character was a dick the majority of the time, mm. Todd killed it. Like, I'm actually going to probably watch 12 Monkeys now just to see yeah, more of him I'd and his acting. Yeah, it's definitely made me curious about the 12 Monkeys show, yeah. Yeah, and obviously showrun when written by Terry Metalis. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I, I have a lot of problems with Shaw in-universe. Um, But, yeah, Todd did phenomenally with, with the stuff that he was given. I just... <sighs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't think he belongs in a Star Trek series. That character, that the way he was written, I I bump into a lot. Um, which oh. we which we spoke about. Yeah, you know, we, we just, have just spoken about it a his, lot. His you know his post traumatic stress and and those kind of things. I just I don't think in universe would would have happened in the kind of this what's supposed to be a um, a positive look on what the future can be. Um, yeah, I don't think he is someone who could could exist in this universe, but I enjoyed yes I enjoyed watching the performance. Oh that, yeah, that I forgive it. I forgive it, and the fact that you know he's dead at the end, so I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Raffi, uh, Michelle Hurd, she oh, she killed it. I love Great. Michelle and Hurd. the the chemistry that she had with Worf's character. Yes, you know, 
Like, yeah. amazing. And it's like, that was one of the things I enjoyed from last season was her play with Seven. Yeah. Like, the Raffi Seven play. Like, because obviously their relationship came out of nowhere at the end of season one because they, be- they didn't really exchange anything. So it's like, and exchange any dialogue. So it's like, we built this relationship with them in season two, which I bought, um, which then we didn't get in season three. They kind of stepped away from that. But her relationship, well, not her romantic relationship, but her working relationship yeah. with Worf, I found um, really fascinating. And and given that I think by the end of like the first episode of season one, Raffi was the character I hated the most. because really? Because to me, she was the, she was the one, and what I'm saying, in the way I was saying about Shaw, I was like, she doesn't fit in a Star Trek universe, like this drug addicted weirdo fucking like, I was like, what? But obviously the whole of season one was a weird <laughs> you know, thing. I love Michelle Hurd. I've seen her in so many other things and she's always fantastic. And it's so like, yeah, she, she, she's the Ahsoka Tano of the new Star Wars, of the new Star Trek. It's like when you first meet her, you're like, oh, who is this? I hate her. And then you just love her. Like you just, she's so, intriguing and she draws me in and she's she's such an interesting character and probably had the most character growth um over the three seasons um, do you remember that anyone uh show sarah connor the the terminator chronicles Chronicles. yep she's actually married to the bad terminator from that oh really well um thomas decker was the um was the star of that he played um john connor oh he did too didn't he Yeah. yeah wow yeah um another character uh, obviously, Seven of Nine. You know, she's like a legacy character that's yeah. coming to this established crew. Mm. You know, she she did an excellent job. Uh, there was a, a tweet that I found and I saved onto my phone here by a dude called James Amory from the UK, mm. and he said, "By the time the end of the last generation, there have been nine Starfleet ships named Enterprise. There have been seven Enterprise ships with a prefix. He actually means a suffix with the." letter at the end um jerry ryan is literally going to be captaining the seventh prefix ship of nine total ships terry metallic so (laughs) of course because g is the seventh letter of the alphabet (laughs) that's a fun time seven of nine that is yeah i wonder if terry did that deliberately or not (laughs) that's fun um another good character which we didn't actually get to see a lot of because she's now dead tavine yeah she was great she was an excellent character that was a waste. Um, Something I did, uh, I, I noticed when I was sort of going and doing my rewatch, we spoke about um, Ensign Esma and how we kind of... She was the next one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, how we didn't, get, we didn't get much of them. Uh, Esma is actually an alien species we've seen before. Really? Yeah. Um, Aquiel, that Next Generation episode with Aquiel. Esma is actually the same species as Aquiel Unari. Okay. Yeah, because I know we'd spoken about it yeah, we're we weren't like, sure. Yeah, like, who is this? Was good, and I think I remember you saying something about oh, it was a it was a new character, like a new species for the yeah, show. I thought that. Yeah, I think that might have been the other one. You don't see much of them, but there's that one character in like episode one that kind of looks almost changelingish with like yeah, yeah. white long. Yeah, it hair. might be that one. I think it's that character. But yeah, as uh, Ensign Esmar is a um, uh, is a Hellian. Um, I think I looked sure. it up. It'll be um, on Memory Alpha for sure. Yeah, but obviously Aquiel, much darker skin tone and didn't put in the green. I feel like Esma had a lot more green yeah, in, okay. in their ridges and that kind Maybe of stuff. Maybe she's just from a different so, part of the planet. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, I'm. It's again, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously we don't have infinite amount of time, but 
yeah, characters like Esma and Tavine, you're just like, oh, I want, I want to know more about them. And obviously with Tavine, we've kind of lost that opportunity. Um, Unless they do a Titan prequel show or something. No, I, they won't. Uh, they won't. They can't. <laughs> bring back Shaw and him and Tavine. Um, Another character, mm. Lieutenant Mur- Matthew Murrah. Mura, I found really interesting. I liked him. He was the one that I actually did the most research about because I'm like, a Bajoran with the name Matthew? What? And it's like, yeah, they, again, they didn't do anything about it in the show, but it's like, oh, he was actually like a, um, uh, like a refugee child from the um, occupation of Bajor and stuff like that. And ended up on Earth somehow. Ended up on Earth, like adopted out or whatever and was raised on Earth. Given the name Matthew, but then because um, his earring was worn on the other side as well, wasn't it? I think. I don't know. Did he wear it on the left or the right? Uh, I'll have I to don't know. I have to go back. I I feel like um, Ro was the only one who ever wore her earring on the wrong side. Just in the beginning, there just because she was painful sometimes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I liked Ro. Ro was good. yeah. Ro was fantastic. Um. Other characters, mm. obviously, apart from the main crew of the Enterprise D back from the next generation, I always look at the ships as a character as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, obviously, the Titan A, yeah, which is now the Enterprise, Enterprise G, G, which listen to our last episode of the season and you know that I don't like that they did that yeah. because, to me, the Titan A has its own legacy now from this. If anything, and say that ship got destroyed... There should be a Titan B. Yeah. You know, um, definitely shouldn't be the Enterprise G to me, but that's, go listen to our last episode and you'll hear all about that. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing I found online, because, you know, it's been three weeks, somebody actually sat down and figured out all of the ships from the Frontier Day display at the end there. Yeah, wow. So the dude's name is Jorg Hillebrand. Oh, I've heard that name before. Yeah, oh, he, he's posted a lot of stuff, yeah, this guy. Yeah, gets a lot of shout-outs. So he's like, after days of analysis, George Hillebrand has identified the classes of all 339 starships present at Frontier Day and the attack on Earth. Ouch. That's I think retroactively that's going to hurt you too. Is it? Well, because we had that, um, we had that conversation <clears throat> about, um, you know, the stupid idea that it being the entire fleet and you were trying to sort of go, well, it's probably just... It's just the Earth fleet. It's just the, the Earth fleet. fleet. No, nah, unfortunately it's not, bro. You don't think so? No, and I've got uh, I've got a little quote here to back it up. Oh, go on. Uh, Who's that from? From one Geordie LaForge in the episode. Okay. What did he say? Uh, he says... Da, 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 da. Now I'm just trying to find it. <laughs> While Maddie's doing that, yeah. I'll read out the different classes yeah, of ships. So there were 38 sovereign shi- uh, sovereign classes... 36 Pathfinder classes, which is what the Voyager B is part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, 36 Lunar classes, which was the original Titan that... Uh, uh, what's his name? Riker. Riker, bloody hell. Um, there were 24 Gagarin classes, 24 Reliant classes, 22 Edison classes, 22 Inquiry classes. Like Remembering well, there was like 300 of them at the end of Season 1. 20 Nova classes, 18 Defiance, 18 Akira classes, 16 Excelsior 2s, 14 Sagan classes. Uh, what else have we got here? 14 Alita classes, 13 Echelon classes, 13 Odyssey classes, which is cool. 
10 Ross classes and Constitution 3 or Neo Constitution classes, one. For a total of 339 ships. Yeah, that's unfortunate because if you go back and watch episode 6, The Bounty... Yeah, Geordie talks about how he's in the middle of his third memo, objecting to quote, assembling the entire fleet for Frontier Day. Yeah, so ah, it, you hate it. That's to me, writing gaff because Absolutely. we definitely we definitely saw more ships than that in fleets in DS Nine. Absolutely, in the Dominion War. Yeah. So and again, it's it's, it's like I said in our last episode, it's simplifying it rather than us taking over the fleet. We should have just been. The signal could have taken over uh, st- the starbase. You know, we didn't need to have this whole frontier day, bringing and saying we're going to bring every single ship and bring. It. Don't don't promise something that you can't execute. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, they, they definitely fucked it up there. Yeah, but you know that that happens when when you've got sixty years worth of legacy mm. to go on, like. There are going to be yeah, yeah stuff absolutely. ups here and there. Absolutely. Even though it was what twenty years ago. Yeah, and again it's it, DS9 Voyager, as much as I rave about them, you know, they have all their own issues. You know, there's one episode where Janeway's just like, Oh, okay, this place is four light years away. And they arrived two hours later. Like she's doing a log. And it's like, well, based on that math, I actually could have gotten home in about four years. You know, like yeah. <laughs> things like that. Just you know, but when it's a standalone episode, it's like I was saying before, when it's a standalone episode, you don't notice it, it doesn't matter because by the end of the episode We've moved on, but when it's a season-long arc like this, you really have to cross your T's and dot your I's. Um, yeah, because yeah. you will get those, you know, deep fans like you and me that will analyze all of this shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're going to create something and put it out there, it needs to be it needs to be airtight. And um, yeah, once we get into nitpick corner, I'll do like a little lightning round and I'll just run through a few little um, bits and pieces. Well, I've got I've got this one other little thing, yeah, because. Mm. It's still a character of the show, the, the big board cube that we saw at the end there. Yeah. Has the, it been given a name? Was it given a name or is it just... They, they never really the gave cube. it a name. and it, To me, it's just the cube. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's better than the artifact. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, someone actually took some screenshots and mm. I don't know who it was. So, if it was you, yeah, feel free to DM us and I'll give you credit. Mm. All right. So, the Enterprise D we know is 642 meters long. Yep. Okay. So, the tallest antenna... All right, on that Borg cube as it was coming out of Jupiter mm. was approximately 9,000 metres high or long right, or 14 so times nine, longer than the Enterprise. So nine kilometre long antenna. Yes. Fuck. Right, yeah. So that means that the Borg cube itself was approximately 20,000 metres across, so 20 kilometres. Wow. Like there was one part with the CGI where they probably fucked it up a bit where you could see it coming out of the eye of the storm on Jupiter. Mm. That storm is actually about 10,000 kilometres across. 10,000. So it's it's twice as big as the eye of Jupiter. Well, no. So this is 20,000 metres, which is 20 oh, kilometres. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 20 kilometres. Yeah. Versus, what did you say? 10,000 10, kilometres. kilometres. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they fucked it up there with yeah. the... CGI, but it was still a cool shot. That's happened all throughout, um, not just Star Trek, but sci-fi. There's oh, yeah. always, like, you know. DS9, for example, like the first episode of DS9 where we saw the Enterprise D docked, it was a different size to later galaxy classes that we saw flying around DS9 as mm, well. Yeah. So it, it happens. It's just different yeah, you know, C- companies, C- different CGI, CGI just, dudes. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
All right, well, Maddie, let's uh, let's get into you a little bit of nitpick corner, right. shall we? So I basically, as I went through, watching, and I'll interject <laughs> as I went through, just watching all the episodes, and I just jotted a few things down, and they just happened to sort of just not quite um, uh, work out as we go through. Um, we can skip that. We can skip that. Uh, there was <laughs> there was a when uh, Picard and Riker are sitting in the bar. Uh, at the, in the very, very first episode. In the 10 Forward in, on Earth? Yeah, in 10 Forward on Earth. With the fat ones. With the fat ones. Uh, and they're talking about the Myriad Codec and sorting it all out, blah, 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 blah. They get up and they go to leave and the, the camera pans over to a guy sitting at the bar who's been eavesdropping on them. Yes. No follow-up to that. Oh, I think I think we can assume maybe he was a he was a changeling. Do you think that's something maybe that hit the cutting room floor? Potentially. So, um, but it was weird that it's yeah, just like... he was the one that dropped the D into the drink. Yeah, it? and it wasn't even a fat one D. It was like a little micro machine sized D that had been... Yeah, Got one on the shelf there. Painted silver <laughs> that just dropped into a glass. And then like he, I'm pretty sure he got up and like followed them. So I'm just like, hmm. And we never got any sort of explanation to that. So that was a little bit um, annoying. Um, this is like probably the nerdiest nitpick out of anything. And it's when... Uh, the Titan A is leaving space dock and Picard gives Seven the order to, you know, take us out or whatever, you know, she's... Now, I know what it is. It's a reference to a next... Uh, to, a, to an original series movie, I believe, when okay. Kirk takes one of the Enterprise out. But Seven says, aft thrusters, one quarter impulse. That's pretty fast. Aft thrusters and impulse engines are two different types of engines. <laughs> Well, it'd be... You've got... Impulse speed. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Yep. So I know what they were trying to say. One quarter impulse speed out of it because... But he was a, just wanting her to use the thrusters was, to do it? <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, uh, actually, I just remembered it. It was um, Undiscovered Country because yep. remember then the chick from uh, Sex and the City goes, actually, impulse engines aren't allowed inside space dock, blah, blah, blah. So I know what that was. That was just a shout out to that thing. But it's like, well, you can't have one quarter impulse on thrusters. Remember they never used to allow them to go to warp inside the solar system either, but yeah. that just seems to be a thing now. <laughs> That's a, That was a whole plot point in DS9. <laughs> um, uh, they talk about Shaw being by the book, but he broke a lot of protocol for being someone who was by the book all the time. He's broke a lot of protocol. So, I, I again, that's just a problem I have with, with It just seems character. to be the way of uh, these hero characters in these series, though. Yeah. Like, look at Picard, how many times he's broken the book. Yeah. Janeway, she was probably the worst hey, for it. As she said herself, <laughs> she never broke the Prime Directive. <laughs> Bent it on occasion. <laughs> yeah, well, there's plenty of times we've definitely seen Picard break the Prime yeah. Directive. Um, there was a moment uh, in episode one where, you know, in the, in the dining room scene where they're all sitting down to dinner yeah. and Picard has that one little gaffe where he says, oh, and then we'll stop by DS4 and they all go like, don't you mean DS11 or vice versa? And it felt like they were setting up Oh, he's he's old and frail and forgetful and a little bit, yep. And to me, that didn't really have any payoff anywhere. The closest I could get to was the fight between Picard and Riker while they were battling uh, Vatic in the in the nebula. I don't see it that way. Um, but I just it just it just weird to have that moment and everyone kind of stopped and went, oh, oh, what? He, he, and then it didn't have any payoff. No, nah, so. to, to me, the way I read that was that just because Picard's not been a frontline Starfleet officer for a long time, he just wasn't aware. And he, and he, yeah, ki- he kind of fucked it up himself. Yeah, but, I, but I'm asking why introduce that if there's no payoff? Like there was no payoff to that moment. What was the payoff to that moment? Uh, because for the rest of the season, he's fucking on board. He's he's absolutely, you know, he's at the he's almost at the peak of his game. So I'm like, where was the, from a writing point of view, where was the payoff to that? 
Why sets? It's like setting up a joke and then not telling me the punchline. That was setting up in Shaw's mind that you know something's not entirely fucking right with this guy and what he's asking. That's what I thought. But it wasn't in his mind. It actually happened. Well, like that's Picard, true. Picard actually gaffed. Yeah. So he actually legitimately forgot. Like it wasn't part of their ploy. Of of like because no, sorry, what did, well, what, he's not what exactly did, a spy. What so. did Riker call it? It was their ruse yeah. to get him to. So it's like that wasn't part of the ruse to convince Shaw. Matt, he's got like a whole hand thing going <laughs> as he says ruse here. Um, so I'm just like I want to pay off to that. It just it was just again, I feel like we wasted time on a lot of stuff that if we just trimmed it back, trimmed it back, trimmed it back, we would have had more time for all the cool fun stuff. It felt like we were treading water in a, in a lot of instances, and I yeah, think, okay, I think that was one of them. Um, I did see a nice, cool little line where, um, when they, when they, when Riker and Picard board the Elios, and they're investigating like the quote-unquote crime scene where, like we saw earlier, Beverly fucking people up with Ry- her pump-action yeah, phaser rifle. Riker doesn't make a point about, oh, these are some strange ashes for phaser fire, and obviously at the time we thought, oh, maybe that's some kind of cool weapon she's got. Obviously, that was setting up that well, she vaporized changelings. Yeah, so that's why. So I, I did, I did like that, and we did get a hint there. Um, Jack talks about them being hunted by people, and he says each time they had a different face. Yes, which I think it was a was a hint. Yes, that it was going to be yep. changelings. The problem with that is then we jump into episode two, and we get up on screen. It says two weeks ago, and we see their first encounter mm-hmm. with being hunted. Uh, which is the Fenris, for the Fenris Rangers. Yep. And he says at the end, uh, reach out to the marked woman. We found him, which is obviously we now know that was Vadic. Vadic with her marked face. Yeah. Uh, Jack says, first it was Fenris Rangers, then Klingons a day later, then Starfleet. We've been running for months. But at the start of the episode, it said two weeks ago. And it started with Fenris Rangers. Fenris Rangers. Yeah, okay. So just a little thing. Just another writing Just, just fucking up weeks and months. You know, little things like that. Um, next bit, and it's something I spoke about uh, last week, is Jack becoming an ensign, and not only an ensign, but a bridge officer with a stupid title by the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, it's like he's a counsellor, but kind of not. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a weird position um, I've never really seen before. And also in episode two, Picard makes a point. He's uh, he's in uh, Jack Jack Junior is in the brig, and Picard reads a list of his presumed or accused of crimes. You're accused of organized crime on Andoria, actual terrorism on Binar Three, and you're wanted for the death of a man on Andreas Five. That's unfair. He's a falsetti, and they're going to a deep hibernation. Year later, he's um. Yeah, he's fast-tracked, he's an ensign, and he's on the bridge of the flagship of Starfleet. Uh, but again, he called out the depotism, so we're not allowed to say it was nepotism. <laughs> um, yeah, so I found that a little bit a little bit icky. Uh, jumping to episode three, the whole thing about Jack at the end, he's like, oh, I've never belonged, I've always been a loner, blah, 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 and I spoke about how I didn't really buy any of that. I found the moment that, I had that I think I bumped into, and it's the start of episode three when uh, it's all the triage stuff because everyone's been injured. And remember when, when seventeen seconds, uh, yeah. And remember they they walk into the um, sick bay, and there's like that one douchey guy that's like, "This is all your fault." Blah blah blah. Oh, blah. the dude with the fucking busted wrist or whatever. Yeah. It was. But then later on, Jack is being like very calming and reassuring to this um, en- 
uh, injured uh, blonde ensign or lieutenant or whoever she is. And he's just being very caring and genuine. And, and It was a blonde hottie. Of course he was. But, but, but that's the thing. Is, uh, for me, that then bumps into him later being like, oh, I'm a loner. I've never felt. It's like, well, is he good with people or is he not good with people? So I just. I th- he can almost switch it on with the chicks, hey? But is he, I mean, they're about to be destroyed. Is he really trying to get a route while they're about to be destroyed? Like, and he's and he's in a triage situation? Like, hey, I'll tell you, in Afghanistan and Iraq, I was still trying to get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I called it out in the episode back then, and you tried to defend it, but I still oh, call bullshit. The turbo lift guard. The guy who was like, oh, we're at red alert. It was that one guy's uh, job. the bridge there? To, no, they were on a different deck. He yes, was, yeah, he was yeah, on a, yeah. And he stopped Jack from, from getting on the turbo lift. To go to the bridge, wasn't To it? go to yeah. the bridge. Where was that guy when Vatic was taking over the ship? And you literally, at no point during the rest of the series... Mate, he was probably in the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it was just one that's really like... You could, he, Jack could have just walked up to the turbo lift and not been able to get on the... Like, gone, walked in and gone, bridge, and it's like... During red alert, bridges for such and such officers only. You didn't need a guy to stand there and go, no, not let you in, bro. Um, for them, him not to be there. Like, just little things like that bug me. I don't know why, but for some reason, I just, in my brain then, it just went to that episode of Lower Decks where they're having to clean out the biofilters in the whole deck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, it's mostly used for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and for me, that does track because um, uh, Rom, when he starts working for uh, Bajoran, uh, the Bajoran uh, militia government, mm. what do you want to call it, he spends a lot of time working in waste extraction. <laughs> um, so you know what he's doing. They're cleaning the biofilters of the whole deck. Um, here's a big one. Episode three. 17 seconds. Yeah. Raffi and Worf never actually recovered the wormhole weapon that destroyed the place on Metallus Prime. No, because that, that was the one that was on the Shrike, wasn't it? The Shrike was in the nebula with the Titan when it happened. If you think about episode one, two, and three, all takes place essentially in the same day. Was there two versions of that weapon? Well, that's that's the only assumption. Literally, because we're jumping back and forth. I thought it was the Shrike that destroyed that um, Federation building with that wormhole. But that weapon. happened at the end of episode two. And at the end of episode two, that was when the Shrike threw the Elios at the Titan. So yeah. we were jumping in between that happening. There's still a wormhole weapon out there. Yeah. <laughs> and Raffi and, and Worf failed to get it. So either there was just the one wormhole weapon and they've stuffed up in their editing or it's now out there. There's more wormhole weapons out there. See, now I wish Maddie and I had discussed this previously because now I'm going to have to go back and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, well, I've written down here. Did Raffi and Wolf actually recover the Metallus wormhole weapon? It couldn't have been the Shrike. It was in the right nebula when the attack happened. Yep. Yeah. Then, of course, the Shrike lets the Titan into the gravity well, and I had a problem with it at the time. Yes. And it kind of reinforces the fact that Vatic never would have let that happen. We Like, the Titan had to save itself from that gravity well. Otherwise, their whole plan with Jack would have gone out the window for the, the bulwark. So, how would they... But yeah. then again, like, it still would have happened Frontier Day, but they wouldn't have had Jack to sort of control the rest of the 25-year-olds, I he, guess. But remember, he he was the thing. They had to plug him into the ship to make it work. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked wouldn't without have. Jack. He was... Because remember, he's the voice. He's the transmitter. Yeah. The Vox. Yeah. So if, if he'd have died in that episode, which if 
it wasn't the fucking next generation crew like pulling together and doing what they needed to do. Like if it wasn't Beverly realizing that it was a nebula about to give birth and saving the day, they were hours away from death. Yeah. Oh, so yep, yep. Yeah. very right there. Um, oh yeah, my next note coming into the um, first first um, scene of episode four, no win scenario. It says they're four hours from being crushed by the gravity well if life support doesn't go first. Yep, that was the one where Riker was doing his log goodbye letter thing to Deanna, wasn't it? Yes, yep. and we spoke about it too in this. I I we had the conversation about well, Riker said in that episode, you know nothing in the universe has made him think that there's an afterlife and that's what made him sad yeah. about Jack, but then he kind of magically had that at the end. I did read a lot of people saying, well, it was it was that nebula birth that gave him that idea that there might be an afterlife, and I, I don't buy that. No, because that, that was birth. That was not death. Yeah. What what Why would any of that make him think that there is an afterlife for him to have that line at the end to say, I'll be waiting for you, Diana, with... Um, with that, there are a lot of people out there, and I've seen this mm. with my own two eyes as well. When people are actually dying and they do call out for God and stuff, and they're yeah. people that just you know have never been like God type of people, so yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I just I just don't buy it for Starfleet officers. Um, Definitely won't be this guy. Yeah, there's a, there's a line <laughs> where, um. Yeah, and the whole Will Deanna thing I find was a bit muddy because back in episode four, he says, Deanna couldn't live with me feeling nothing. But she was the one making him feel nothing. Yes, so he didn't realise that though. Mm. So that to me is, that's her being, like, that's abuse. Yeah, but then why why did he leave? Because he said back in episode one, he said, Deanna and Kestra will appreciate the time away from me. So why was he like he was running away thinking he was doing the right thing for Deanna because he was feeling nothing. Maybe he needed she, to run away to feel. But she was the one making him feel nothing. So yeah, I so just he had to run away to feel. So he was away from her. That's the way I read it. Yeah, I just I just would have liked a little bit of a a little more of a bow on that. Like okay. Deanna couldn't live with me feeling nothing. So he's saying that's insinuating they've had a conversation and Deanna can't deal with him feeling nothing, but Deanna's the one making him feel nothing without him knowing. Yeah, that's true. So it was just a little bit a little bit muddy there. And Will also says, if Vadik had wanted to come and get us, she would have done it already. Yeah. But the whole the whole series, that's all she wanted was to come and get them. So there's just a it's just that they're just treading water, like Going, no, that's not the reason Vatic wants us. No, obviously it was an assumption on his behalf. Oh, yeah, they had no idea why. Yeah, but he was incorrect. But it was also, it was a line to try and put us as an audience off. Mm -hmm. But then it takes away from Vatic's whole through line through the entire entire season. So, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that. Now, here's a big one. So, and I know you had an issue with it in the last episode when they play the Star Wars holocron of Shaw. Talking up. I was like, where's he going talk, Star Wars here? <laughs> talking up Seven of Nine. Now, at this point, this is when Shaw's hiding away in his um, in his quarters after his injury, and Seven finds out about the changeling, and she's been tasked to go and find it. And she goes and asks Shaw's advice. Mm-hmm. Shaw says, I underestimated you. You have great instincts. You're a natural leader. You'll make a great captain someday. Dot, dot, dot. 
is something you'd say, and then oh, sorry, and then Seven jumps in and says, "Is something you'd say if you were a changeling and not just a dick." But he'd already said that. Yes, correct. Yeah. So he's. But she didn't know. But he did, mm. and he's the one that said it. And he's like, "Well, he if, doesn't want to get accused of being a changeling." If I was a changeling, I'd say all these things. But he'd already said those things, so it was just a little bit of. Um, yeah, I can see that one. Yeah, uneven there. And then this is me being really, really, really petty, and I did it at the time. Do we need a drum roll? But. Not really, because I'm petty all the time. <laughs> Remember what I didn't like? The fact that um, Sydney was whinging that her quarters are really, really small in like one of the later episodes. Yeah, I think it was in the turbo lift. Was this where Jack invited her to the when, other Yeah, when he's like his s- bigger when quarters. He's, when he's soft touching her. Well, where did Seven go to hunt down the changeling? She went to the changeling's quarters, remember? That yep. we, and he was the, the guy in charge of... Um, transporters. Transporters. Yep. He was an ensign. Yep. Remember how big those quarters were? Sydney's an ensign too. Yep. She works on the bridge. She would have those quarters or potentially better. I don't know what to tell you. Like, just, just me being petty. Just me being petty. Maybe she's got a slightly less pay grade somehow because he was the transport chief. Mm. Trans- she- transport chief and he had those lush quarters. <laughs> she's the, we assume, chief helmsman. Uh, so she's a bridge officer and probably a member of the senior staff. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, she reckons her quarters were crap. So they would have had to have been that or more. Maybe she just wanted a window. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she's just whinging. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a line somebody says, Jack about to say he'd heard the story, but I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm mm. not looking at your notes. Yeah. Oh, that might have been when... Um, I think that was in, in Fake Ten Forward when Picard was telling that the story about him and his dad in the shuttle and 10 grueling fucking hours or whatever it yeah. was. Um, and Jack Jack was about to tell him he'd heard the story because we find out in the following episode, Jack was actually there in the bar when he told the story. In the so, real Ten Forward on yeah, Earth, yes. So I, I, thought, I did think that was a nice touch. Um, episode five. And this is something that I had a problem with basically from episode five onwards is imposters for a skeleton crew. There was a lot of people around on the fucking Titan. Yes. There still was. And like, it kind of kept growing the amount of people. Shaw did say a couple of times that there's 500 people on board. Yep. So even a skeleton crew still could be 50 people, I suppose. Could be more. Could be more. But obviously it's like, well, the whole enterprise D was able to be run with four people on the bridge. So, and it's a much older ship. Mm-hmm. So how many people How many people do you actually consider a skeleton group? Because Rose says, I've transferred most of the Titan crew to the Intrepid. I've left you with a skeleton crew. And then Seven doubles down later on when Shaw doesn't want to, or Shaw wants to engage with the Intrepid or someone wants to engage with the Intrepid. And Seven on the bridge says, most of our crew has been transferred over there. Mm-hmm. So most. So... It was doubled down several times that so many of the crew had been transferred over, but fuck, there was a lot of ensigns rolling around on that ship when, when they needed it towards the end of the episode. Yep. Yeah, because the, like the Doctor, she disappeared for a bit, then she for was like back four later. episodes and then was back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Ro, I've transferred most of the Titan crew to the Intrepid and left you with the skeleton crew, but she left the cook. Which is obviously when <laughs> yeah. we recorded the last episode, we thought he was like a cadet or something like that. The guy was on the bridge. No, he was the fucking cook. Yes, and we've never seen that colour uniform before. No, which I guess is why we thought cadet. Yeah. Um, but no, he was the cook. And it's like the only time we've ever seen a cook was Enterprise and it was Riker yeah. <laughs> on a holodeck. So it's like in a ship where 
you know, I get with Neelix. It was, or Mr. Neelix, yes. Yeah, I get with Neelix it was a thing. It was a power-saving thing because they were stuck out in the Delta Quadrant. But I'm like, well, if anything, wouldn't have replicators gotten better in the 20-something years since Voyager came home? Why do we need a cook? Yeah. I don't mm. know. Maybe for when we're having uh, people from other cultures, it's cooking, nice to have cooking fresh those, food. Cooking those blue steaks for... Uh, oh, it was green. For sure. Oh, I thought it was blue. No, it was green. Oh. I swear it was green. I thought it was blue. But yeah, like... Um, yeah. If you're going to have... Like, they always did say that fresh, proper food does taste better than the replicated yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, now, retroactively, episode five is when we see Jack for the first time do all his Jason Bourne stuff. Yep. Do we buy that him, un- like, now that we know that it was just his Borg DNA unlocking itself, do we buy it that he suddenly That's- had Jason? Like, the, the telepathy stuff you kind of buy because it's the collective yeah. and that kind of stuff, but the Borg have never been ones to engage in hand-to-hand combat. Um, do we buy his, his born identity powers based on the genetic unlocking, so to speak, of... Which really didn't actually unlock until Deanna unlocked it in like episode eight or episode nine. So now do we retroactively buy him being able to be Jason Bourne? It's all, almost like they'd unlocked the matrix in his brain mm. and he was all of a sudden able... He knew Kung Fu. I knew Kung Fu, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not sure if I if I buy that. And I still... And I know it's this is real nitpicky, but I still do find it weird. You picked it up in the episode, but I was very confused. But I still find it weird that... Raffi didn't know that Worf was her handler, but Worf did know that Ro was his handler. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got yeah, that. Yeah, I just, I didn't get that. In the, and I still, still kind of bugs me. It's like, well, why why was there the wall between Worf and Raffi except for us as an audience to get the surprise that it's Worf? You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, I would have preferred that Worf didn't know that uh, Roe was his handler because in universe that makes more sense to compartmentalize. It's like if 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 Raffi got captured while she was doing stuff, she couldn't give up any information about who her she handler doesn't was because she doesn't know. If the roles were reversed and Raffi was the one in the middle, and she knew that Roe was her handler, that opens her up to the potential of being able to give away Roe was her handler. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know it's different with Worf. You know that Worf's going to go to the grave. Absolutely. Without saying a word. So, and obviously they had a personal connection together, but yeah, I just, I just wish there'd been a little more, um, a little more uh, explanation there. Um, episode six, the bounty, we reinforces um, Vatic and the changelings. The next ill-defined, unshapen one of you says something, that and then she ends up killing one of her bridge officers. Um, yet she's talking about our brothers and sisters who suffer each day having to wear the faces of the Federation. We spoke about that, you know, no changelings harmed another, all that kind of stuff. So I still don't like her killing one of her officers. Are you, you going to dig more into the changeling thing as well later? Uh, like, maybe. Because, yeah. There's a few more stuff here. Um, I remember did, I remember sending you a tweet and even Sam Witwer, who's like the voice of Darth Maul in yep. Star Wars, and he's a massive nerd, he tweeted Terry Metalis and he quoted the whole no changeling has harmed another so does that mean these guys aren't changing? And Terran Talos is like, you'll have to see next week. We got we got no resolution to that whatsoever. Damn it, Terry. Yeah. Um, One job. So by by episode six, and oh, the, the, something I had been tracking as well is it, it did track the very first episode. Um, it did say like Picard said, oh, it's a 
Picard and Riker said, oh, it's a week till Frontier Day. So this whole this whole um, ep- uh, series, uh, season... It took place in a week. took place in a week because, yeah, at episode six, the bounty, um, Vadix says Frontier Day is 72 hours away and then later on Picard says it's less than 48 hours away. So the, the, the ticking clock is yep, definitely there. Good. Problem I still have is that Picard said, you know, Starfleet did deliver a cure to the Changeling homeworld and then Vadix was like, uh-uh, no, they didn't. Well, yeah, they did because it, it, was, it was O'Brien and... Um, Bashir? Bashir that found the cure, gave it to Odo, and then I went and rewatched What You Leave Behind. I, I did too. <laughs> and Odo goes in and he's face-to-face with a female changeling and the only... Because she, she says, yeah, you guys may have won, but the Jem'Hadar will make you pay for every meter of this planet you have to take back. They will die to the last man. And the deal is, is Odo says, well, I can link with you and cure you and then go and cure our people if you tell you if you tell the gem to stand down and she tells the 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 gem to stand down in exchange for the cure mm-hmm. so Vadex whole through line there about that was capital b bullshit <laughs> so again don't know why it was there um sydney like the bounty also seems to be sydney and Geordie's only ep where they kind of talk about their tension and kind of relieve it at the end by the time Geordie... Like, yeah, it's just one of those sort of left unsaid things. Yeah, well, it was like, um, obviously, Jack, Geordie and Alandra go and get the cloaking device from the bounty and are fitting it. And like, oh, no, we can't figure out what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And then Geordie comes in and goes, well, here's... I can fix it and fixes it. And that he has that moment with Sydney where it's like, he says, oh, hand me whatever tool. And she says, don't you mean a such and such? And hands him a tool, and, and I have. This is why I used to hang out with you, blah, blah blah. But it doesn't resolve the fact that he was being a cunt to her for being a pilot. That was never. It was never addressed. I don't think resolved. he was being like that mean to her for being a pilot. I just think no. But that was her whole through line. Is mm-hmm. she was the one saying, "Oh, I'm the black sheep of the family." Oh, Everyone expected I probably have, her. I probably wouldn't have said black, but um, <laughs> she was the black sheep. She of black. The, <laughs> she was the black sheep of the family because she didn't follow in her dad and Alandra's footsteps, even though Alandra was the younger sister. But she was the only one of the three that was in Starfleet that wasn't in engineering. But there was no resolution to that, I found. I just think that Sydney, she wanted to be her own person and not... I'm actually almost surprised that she didn't take her mother's maiden name as her last name to that would try have been and cool. you know separate herself a bit more and be her own person that would have been fun i would have so liked that so she doesn't that. have the whole nepotism thing yeah <laughs> and again and i and i still said again like she literally chose the only other position laforge has ever been on a ship is a pilot so i still don't understand any of that tension he really there. went from the pilot of the enterprise d to being the chief engineer like super quick didn't he yeah <laughs> yeah in between season 1 and 2 um then there's that then there's the whole thing um, where Riker gets like we all beam over to Daystrom station and Riker gets captured. Yeah, that was cool. By the Shrike. Like he gets put on the Shrike. Where was the Shrike? Because when they were captured on Daystrom Station, it was those two Starfleet ships that were circling, and then suddenly they were gone and Riker was on the Shrike with Deanna. Yeah, the Shrike must have so where warped in real bloody quick, hey. But would have had to have waited until after those mm. other ships. Because obviously not everybody on those two ships were changelings. Yeah, just out of sensor range. Yeah. So um and obviously, yeah, at some point during that between like the last time we saw Vatic in this episode, she's obviously gone and run off to Nepenthe and got Deanna, captured Deanna. 
But again, we don't know about Kestra, what's happening there with... You Didn't know, they say Kestra is at Starfleet Academy? They never said it on screen. So that was just a tweet or something, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah see, th- be- there was, be- a, there was a lot of that this season. Because back to the first episode where Riker says, Deanna and Kestra will be glad to be, to be away from me. But Deanna, we assume, is on Nepenthe. And if Kestra was on Earth, Riker literally went to Earth because he was there for Frontier Day and he was in 10 forward on Earth talking to... Yep. So I just, just, I just, there's been a little, just a little, a little tighter, just a little side note here, just on, on the way that we consume media these days. So like, obviously say back when the next generation was on TV, mm. the only way you could really consume this as media was to watch the episodes and they really had to tell you everything possible. Yeah. Now I think because of the way that we consume media through like socials, you know, with whether it's a tweet or DMing, yeah, you know, cast members. Yeah, they can afford to leave some of these things out of the episode, which I don't. I don't. I like. don't necessarily tell a, like. Tell either. a story because I mean, if you want to rewatch this in five years' time, what have I? To, what have I got to go back onto Terry Metalis's Twitter feed and go back and scroll back and see what his replies were to questions? Like, tell tell a complete story first. Mm. Like, if I, DS Nine is the template. At no point during any of those episodes when they do those big long arcs do I feel left out or confused or things were missed or like it was I wonder it if was you tight. would I wonder if you would say that if DS9 was made now and we saw exactly the same thing on screen mm. and the showrunner and all that sort of stuff were putting out tweets now. I wonder but, if you would say the but same I, thing. But I don't need them. Like I I I rewatch DS9 on a regular basis. It's one of my comfort shows. Literally, at some point between when we started Picard season three and now, I watched the last because the biggest one of DS Nine is the last ten episodes. Just oh, roll, definitely. roll, 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 roll. During like each episode, at no point do I go, "Well, that didn't make sense," and like it's not like that didn't make sense until three episodes later or something like that. It all fits. Like, yes, there are holdovers. Like you know, you, when. Worf and Esri are taken captive by Breen. Yes. You don't realise till the next episode that they're being taken to Dominion space and then it's found out that the Breen are joining the war effort, you know, against, you know, the, the against the Federation, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it all works. So even when I got to the... When I get to the end of Deep Space Nine, the only question I have is... When Cisco coming back? So do you like, think I have I have no question? Everything that happened, I have no notes in terms of well that didn't make sense and why didn't that person do this and all that kind of stuff. It all. Do you think the showrunners and creators and directors and all that sort of stuff are relying on the fact that we have all these different forms of you know sucking in the media? I mean potentially. Now? And again, I just I it's any little bits and pieces you get extra from it's nice. Twitter and online shouldn't should just be the cherry on top you should still be able to enjoy the cake without needing the cherry on top you know what i mean yeah, like definitely i get it whereas this is like well the cake's missing the eggs but so to get the eggs wouldn't be much of a cake missing the eggs it wouldn't stick together right so it's <laughs> like to get the eggs i need to go and read Terry Metalis's twitter feed you know what i mean yeah like oh i get it like yeah. there are definitely some things there that should have been in the episodes. And they obviously, I think they did hit the cutting floor. I think Terry did say in a couple of tweets that 
yeah, that had to hit the cutting floor. It just yeah. didn't make the and time. obviously I understand, like, you know, it was he was brought on during season two to kind of be shown how it was done and then he had to just hit the ground running and take on season three. So I get that, you know, it wasn't the ideal scenario, but he also only had to put out 10 episodes of television, whereas Ira Stephen Bear was doing 26 a year for seven years and everything tracks. Um, there was also another thing in episode six where, you know, when Riker's getting roughed up by... We still don't know what or why Vadic's guys all chose to look the same as that one bird-faced yeah, hooded so, thing. Yeah. Riker says, how much of that goo shit did they pour into you? I don't know what that means. So there was that line when Vadic's telling her tragic backstory and there was like her and nine others on the shelf and stuff like that and she did have a line about how she could pass on her advancements to other people yes so that's all i can assume is what he meant there but Riker wasn't there for that conversation she told that to picard and beverly Riker was the ones that said how much of that goose shit did they pour into you well maybe beverly and Riker went to the bathroom and they were sitting in stalls next to each other and were having a conversation that's no how because he, he was on he was on board daystrom <laughs> station <laughs> yeah so i yeah i don't understand like that so we don't know who the other nine people... Because essentially from the way I understood it is Vatic wasn't the only one being tortured. It was, no, there was nine or ten It was the other nine or ten, or them, ten yeah. um, things there. Which then in my mind is like, oh, that's got to be the rest of her crew. But then that kind of insinuates to me. It's like, well, no, they weren't necessarily part of the other nine. She was able to pass that on to as many changelings as she wanted to, mm-hmm. which then ties back to like episode two when Worf talks about the the break off group from the Great Link, which Odo told that, him about. Yeah, yeah, that Thomas Decker was one of them. And was that Vadic's group, or was that a separate group? Yeah, that was that's never what I mean. really. I feel like there's more. There's more changeling story to come. I think, and I feel like there was more than nine of those birdface guys. Two of them got vaporized in the first episode by Beverly. Yeah, you know, and again. They bought. Oh, that's something I actually forgot to write down. They boarded the Elios in episode one, and at no point did they change form. They no. they could have taken Beverly had they changed form into a fucking bird or a dinosaur or whatever they wanted. They just came in with phases blasting. Or just turn into a fucking crate and waited till she walked past, and then surprise. Yeah, but obviously that would have given away <laughs> that it was changelings. Changes to us. Yeah. So that's one of the things I think telling telling a good story for us doesn't necessarily make sense in universe. And that's the, the the sort of break that I have in my brain where I go, if I just want to, if I want to turn my brain off and watch this from episode one to 10, great. But if I think about it as someone who's lived in the Star Trek universe for the last 30 years of my life, it doesn't track. And that's where I have the disconnect, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'll try and rapid fire some of these. No, that's okay. Mate, we've got time. <laughs> Uh, episode seven. Episode seven. I've got to know. It was my least favorite episode. Uh, which one was that? Oh, uh, that was uh, Dominion. Uh, Thirty-six hours away from Frontier Day. That was when Worf and Raffi disappear on the cloaked shuttle. That again, we're only supposed to assume is they took the shuttle. They took the cloaking device from the bounty that was on the Titan, put it into the shuttle, so that Raffi and Worf could yeah. then go to Exoport and then come back, and they were able to save the day. Because, again, when Raffi and Worf met up with the Titan, they were on the La Serena 
And where's we ne- the Lazarus? Where's the Lazarus? Is it still orbiting that? I know. I, I, I actually sun? did see a tweet or something about that, and the Lazarina apparently did end up inside one of the shuttle bays. Yeah. So, but then again, like you said before, just show us that or have, have one line. Yeah. And why not put the cloaking device on the La Serena and then take the La Serena? Why did when Worf and Raffi went to Exoport, take a Starfleet shuttle called the, because they said the shuttlecraft, whatever name it was. Maybe it's faster. Yeah. I don't know. But again, yeah, it's, it's something that we need to tell. Um, I know, I know you didn't have any issues with it, but I still had issues with it was Beverly talking about the moral dilemma of the possible bi- possible biological weapons. And she's like, oh, well, I'll have to have a think about that. And there was no real payoff to that because the only sort of follow-up to that was later on when we've captured Vatic and Picard and Beverly have their little aside where they go, she's, she's, we have to kill her. Yeah. Are we, are we prepared to, you know, go against everything we've ever did? So, yep. Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a lot of issues with that. Um, Frontier Day requires genetic confirmation of Picard. That was not going to work because he's got a golem body. And he they needed genetic confirmation for him to what? Make a speech? And Frontier Day went forward without him because he was a... He was a yeah, because Shelby... So originally Picard was supposed to be the one commanding the Enterprise F. That's something they need to tell us yes. in the episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, somehow, um, yeah, Elizabeth Shelby, and the only we never knew her first name until this episode. I thought that. Yeah. So I they, they just the took episode. her actual name, yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah. I remember saying that in in the when we when we recorded the episode, I'm going, oh, I don't remember her name. But again, you know more about Next Generation than I do, so I'm just like, oh, they must have said it in in an episode somewhere. No, I I just picked up yeah. on it in the episode, but. Uh, Watching Will Wheaton's show, The Ready Room, because I've gone back and watched all of them now, it does fill in a lot of these gaps as well. It's so good. Yeah, which I just just hate that we have to do that, you Mm. know. Um, Law, in episode seven, calls calls the the, 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 the crew of the heroes, he calls them self-proclaimed heroes. I feel like that goes against, like, anytime, anytime you see a Starfleet officer called a hero, they're like, no, no, I'm just doing my job. Just yeah, to, I'm no, I'm I have, no yeah. hero. Um, so yeah, that kind of that kind of bugged me. Um, what did I, I've got to hear? What did Wilson? We now know that's the Borg Queen. But when Borg Queen <laughs> and Vatic have their second, what we now know is a, a conversation, like it is a transmitted thing, where she has to cut off her own hand to make a phone call. Yeah, I don't know why they had to cut off the hand. Why so she unnecessary? Could have just disconnect been a, it. Could have just been a, a fritzy screen. Like, did did Vatic have to cut off her hand every time she spoke to Picard on the Titan? No, she just used a view screen. Because no, originally, I I thought that that was maybe like a nut. Like, I didn't realize she was a changeling at the time, did we? Yeah, and I thought that was a changeling controlling her. Same. Same, because, so, yeah, then in episode... It was just unnecessary. In episode seven, when uh, what we now know is the Queen and Vadik are talking, somehow through the conversation, the Queen is able to, like, hurt Vadik. Like they, Vadic, it's almost like she had a control collar or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How? What? Tell me Tell me why and how and what that was. Yeah, interesting. Um, But with that hand face thing... Now that we know it's the Borg Queen, you can actually see it. Yes. Yeah, you see like the munted face and stuff like that. That was really good. Um, there was stuff on the PA. Again, this is real nitpicky stuff. It was um, The PA was calling cadets to their duty assignments. 
Um, so when Ro left a skeleton crew, they she, left cadets there. They left cadets there. Yeah, why wouldn't you leave fully trained yeah. staff like personnel? Because they, they needed young people. You know, they needed young yeah, people correct. to take over yeah. shit. Yeah. A victim of plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still don't like Jack touching Sydney in the turbo lift. That gives me the creeps. That's a red she, flag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she co- she asked him to basically, but she but didn't know he in could In her hear mind it. though, yeah. yeah. That's he didn't like she didn't know that he knew. It's it's not it's not good. At the end of the day, she pulled a phaser on him, so I'm It's all about s- consent. Yeah, and she didn't give consent. At the end of the day, she pulled a phaser on him when it all happened, so he did not have consent. He is gross. Um, oh, yeah, doubling down, Odo and the female changeling agree to cure in exchange for surrender. Mm-hmm. Vatic not using the transporters. Now, back in episode two... Oh, yeah, she come over on a shuttle, didn't she? Yeah, which at first we go, oh, that's because the transporters were being used to, to change everyone's DNA. Mm-hmm. Well, the Shrike transporters wouldn't be doing that. So why wouldn't she just have beamed on board with the Shrike transporters? Back in episode two, some of her, her some of her um, goons they they, in. they they beam in using Shrike transporters. Interesting. Which I found out you know when in the last episode where Seven and Raffi are like shooting shooting the the Borg and they're beaming them to the transporter room, mm-hmm. and there's a yellow transporter beam. Yep, that's just them reusing the effect of the Shrike transporter beam. It's Is the, that all that was? It's the exact same effect. Well, talking about that, they didn't really explain that Raffi had come up with a like a transporter gun thing. It mm. just sort of was there and then like, yeah. hey. And then Seven does say, oh, you've just invented the mobile transporter gun. Something that I saw online is that already existed back in Gambit when in Next Generation when Picard has to pretend to be a pirate. Yeah. They have transporter guns. Yes. Yeah. Um. We get more about uh, Vatic whinging about how, you know, um, Starfleet went straight to using genetic weapons against their people during the Dominion War, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, you know, the first salvo wasn't even out and you guys turned to genetic manipulate, you know, um, biogenic weapons. I went back and watched Homefront and Paradise Lost. The whole reason that Picard, uh, Picard that Cisco and Odo had to go back to Earth is because the Changelings planted a bomb in Starfleet Command and blew up and, did, and killed a bunch of... Yep, they fucking clearly started they it. They started it. <laughs> so the fact that Vatic is trying to pull the high ground now, she can get fucked. Yep. Um, blah, blah, blah. Daystrom wanted to turn the changelings into perfect weapons. They started turning them into perfect weapons, but didn't first figure out a way how to control them. It was never addressed like Vatic just decided to hey, I'm going to stab this chick and free ourselves. Do you think, though, right, obviously Starfleet was trying to figure out a way to control them. Do well, you think, Section 31. Well, Section 31, right? Do you think that's how the Queen ended up controlling them? What do you mean? So, obviously, you know how when um, Vatic was talking to hand Face Guy, the Queen, yeah. she had that ability to make, uh, make her... Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you think yeah. that was connected somehow? I don't know. Obviously, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, join the dots, maybe the queen somehow got hold of that technology to be able to control them. But no, that's what I'm saying is there is no technology on how to control them. Maybe there was and it just, it wasn't finished and the queen somehow finished it. But then why would Section 31 give all the, like changelings are pretty badass as it is. Why would they start making all these improvements on them? 
before being able to control them. Mm. Like you're in the military, the military and the police use dogs. Yeah. It's like, are you going to teach a German shepherd how to take someone's throat out before you've established yourself as its boss and that it has to follow your orders? <laughs> you're not going to teach a dog how to kill and then teach it, I'm your master. You're going to teach it, I'm your master first before you teach it how to kill. doesn't always work. I'll tell you a story after. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, super, super petty one, but um, Vatic talks about uh, all she remembers when she was being tortured, wheels down a corridor and boots on concrete. Yeah, they're in the space station. Yeah. At one point, do you, is, are they using concrete to make space stations in the 24th century? Yeah, there's no, I know there's no carpet. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> wheels. I mean, yes, occasionally there's, you know, there's a, there's a wheel on, you know, a little tiny cart, but it's like most stuff is hover. Again, super yeah, petty. Just super petty words. Um, oh, yeah, and back to... Uh, I've written down here, uh, when Picard and Beverly are talking about um, killing Vadic, which they failed to do anyway, says, are you and I so fundamentally changed that we will compromise everything we've believed in? He's already using past tense. So they already it's, made the decision. Yeah, it's not everything we believe in. It's everything we've believed in. Do you think that was just Patrick Stewart slightly messing up the line and it didn't get picked up? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That would be I interesting just, to read the actual script there. Yeah. So I'm just, I found that very interesting that he was, or he was asking the question about their morals, but he was always already using past tense. Like He'd they, already made the decision. He'd already made the decision. So that was a big moment. They're just moment. trying to justify it. Yeah. yeah. And I think they didn't make a big enough moment out of it. And then it was all for nothing in the end because they couldn't even land a shot on Vatic. <laughs> So she was fast goo. Yeah, that kind of bugged me. Um, episode eight, surrender. Now, episode eight, that's the episode Vadic dies with that fucking stupid evacuation hatch on the, oh, in the view screen. The view screen. Yeah, we we had different thoughts on that. And now I I have a compromise for you. Oh, and again, go. this is Maddie compromising is big people. <laughs> big. He doesn't big. like to compromise. Nope, nope, nope. Now the very very first scene. Of that episode. Do you remember what it was? Remind me. We're on the bridge. Vatic yep. has everybody lined up. The opening shot, and we spoke about it in the episode, is we're looking through the window in the top of this of the ceiling, looking out into the stars. Yep. And it pulls back and it kind of looks like a big eye. And then it sort yeah, of goes down to Vatic. Now imagine if the evacuation hatch had been that. Imagine how much cooler that would have been if instead of the fucking How the hell do you get up there? Why the fuck do you have the... Well, we just have a ladder in the wall that we pull out of... A raised manual steering column. <laughs> <laughs> if, if a joystick... How can... many times have we mentioned that in the last, in like the last of, 10 episodes? It's one of the worst things in Star Trek history. But it's like if a joystick <laughs> can come out of the ground to control an entire ship, surely a ladder can drop from the ceiling or can come from the ground From the glass ceiling, which you can see through. No, from around the side of it. Maybe. So I'm just saying, I just think if I was directing the episode and if I was writing it... I would have made, I would have blown that hatch and had her sucked out the ceiling rather than being, or sorry, blown out blown the ceiling. Blown out the ceiling, Maddie. Rather than being blown out the fucking cargo bay door that apparently they're staring at every day when they're looking at the view screen. It's the evacuation hatch. <laughs> Slash view screen. Well, the holographic view screen. Yeah, that's shit. I don't like that. I like that. Nah. Was, where was the scene? There was no scene the entire time. There was no scene, but it's, it's a pair of doors apparently. I didn't. I didn't like it. I'll never like it. 
Um, that's like um, detached nacelles in uh, oh. Discovery. Uh. I, I hate that. Uh. <laughs> um, a nice little touch that we missed, um, and I guess it was probably on me because I'm the DS9 guy, but there was the reference in episode eight where Troy talks about she can't really read changelings. Yep. That's a throwback to DS9 when Luxana Troy gets a crush on Odo because she can't read him. Yes. I'd forgotten about all that. I'd forgotten about it. So I thought that was a really nice touch. I found it amusing, though, that uh, Deanna could read the joy from Data as he's piloting yeah, the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, that was that interesting. Was um, blowing turbo lift conversation. Again, we talked about it in the episode. That was dumb because they all came from the fucking um, observation lounge. Anyway... Um, Jack talks about in the episode always being different. And I just feel like that could have been a clever allegory for something else. I feel like that was a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Um, how did, how did Vatic know about Jack's abilities? She talks about how, you know, like the Borg queen really only knew about him being the voice. We never established whether the Borg Queen knew that he could take over people's minds or he could have Jason Bourne abilities. I think there was a lot that they really could have expanded on yeah. there with Jack. And so what? And given the the scene we just seen earlier, where Vatic is talking to FaceTime Borg Queen or HandTime Borg Queen, um, the Borg Queen didn't seem very forthcoming with details. So we're led to believe at some point the Borg Queen and Vatic sat down and the Borg Queen went, okay, so we need Jack. He's got these cool abilities, blah, 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 blah. Because Vatic is saying she knows about the voices. She knows about the red door, um, all these things. But I don't buy that the Borg Queen would have told her all that stuff. So I, I don't buy that Vatic actually knew anything about it. How did Vatic know all that stuff? Yeah, intro- I, I can see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can help you put the pieces together, the answers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a direct quote. It's yep. like, can you though? I mean, she could have just been bluffing because she wanted him to come so she could take him to her boss. True. But yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And this is the episode that I found out. Yeah, the guy playing Lieutenant Mura is played by a 35 year old man. But he got assimilated, and that's only supposed to happen to people under the age of 25. Yeah, well, Jack as well was, what, Jack. 33 or something? Sydney, for real the, life. Uh, uh, what's her name? Chest- Ashley Sharp Chestnut. Chestnut, she's 30. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, episode 9, Vox. Jack. Esca- My favourite episode of the season, <laughs> mind you. Jack escapes on the shuttle, and he's jamming the transponder so he can't be tracked. Yep. Isn't that the thing being used to hunt the Titan for like five episodes that they couldn't they turn off? Could have jammed. Mm. Well, now so you, the, didn't they say, or maybe I read? I, so sometimes I get confused about the things that I've seen on yeah. the show or or read. But the shuttles aren't don't have the same like automation. There was a line yeah, about that there was yeah, something when, when about they had to that. escape the the um the Titan yeah. on the shuttle. They said it wouldn't be affected by the fleet formation yes. thing. Still got a transponder though, like a tracking transponder. Yeah, maybe it's all tied into yeah. you know the but subsystems. Again, if you wanted, to, if they just put a line in there and it's like Jack used his Borg knowledge to jam the transponder. Seven of Nine used to do it all the time. Well, Jack didn't realize he had Borg knowledge though. Correct. So correct. So that yeah. was that was. Um, but yeah, it's like the whole reason like we had to go to the museum and get the cloak was because our transponder was giving away our location on the mm-hmm. Titan. But Jack was able to just turn off the transponder in his shuttle. And it's like, well, 
You could have just turned it off on the ship as well. I yep. don't know. Um, and again, this is going to hurt you uh, with the whole fleet thing. Worf doubles down and he says, as we speak, all of Starfleet is gathered in one location. Yeah, see, I still don't get it. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, no, like that, that to me is a massive sort of like that. What we saw is not all of Starfleet. Yeah. It cannot possibly be. You get one little reprieve here where Shaw says, when they're talking about what they have to do, Shaw says, oh, yeah, we'll go there. Where pretty much every Starfleet vessel is assembled. Yeah, no, like there's there's more than three hundred ships in Starfleet. We, we've obviously we've spoken about this in depth, and I know we we spoke offline about it as well. And yeah, that that is not the entirety yeah. of Starfleet because no. Star like Federation space is fucking massive. Correct. Like there is no way they're leaving like yeah. the outer edges. I did like, see Deep Space Nine. Is still there, presumably. Yeah, and it takes. They're not leaving that unprotected. And it takes weeks to get from like Deep Space Nine back to Earth. But then again, how long did it take the you know Titan A to get to the Nebula in the second episode or whatever it was? Yeah, you know, that was a matter of five hours or so. Yeah, I did. Um, not warp nine point nine 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 or whatever it was. Like, well, that was another inconsistency. As I went back and really listened to that, and yeah, um. Maybe the warp scale has been changed. No, I don't think it is. I think it was just a writing gaffe because Riker, when he was talking, he was trying to convince Shaw to go to the writing system mm-hmm. and they were supposed to go to somewhere else. He's like, oh, we're supposed to be there. We've got five days to be there. And Riker said, at half speed. He said, if you go to maximum warp, we can go to the writing system and be back at your rendezvous point in the same amount of time. Yep. That tracks. The problem being, when Seven took us out of space dock, she set us out at maximum warp. Yeah. So it's just those little things like that. If she'd have set us out at warp at, at warp five, and then we were travelling at warp five to our initial location, then Riker's saying, hey, if we divert to this location at warp nine, do what we need to do, and then we can warp nine to where you need to and be. And sure, never know. And Yeah. And so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with that. Yep. Um, they talk about the re- the repair shuttle on the, not the life deck, which is a whole other thing, but the, re- <laughs> the repair deck or whatever. That shuttle looks exactly the same as every other shuttle we've seen in the show so far. But it was supposed to be, oh, there's this repair shuttle. Get fucked. Needs to be like a giant exocomp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Girardi Borg assim- assimilated the whole fleet last season with just a transmission because of Borg tech on the Stargazer. This is essentially just a repeat of that. The Borg assimilated oh, us. Man. Why did you have to say that? With one transmission. Except, yeah. yeah, like that. this season, so season three, it had to be line of sight, didn't it? Yeah. But again, well, Girardi was the same. Like when, when the Borg yeah. come through, they, assim- they, they assimilate the Stargazer and then use its Borg technology to use the... the they- didn't the clones to assemble the whole. But again, that was for a good reason because it turns out the Borg were good Borg. Well, the Girardi Borg, they'd still be where they are protecting that aperture. Yeah. With a fleet surely still there. Yeah. So it cannot possibly be the entirety of Starfleet. Correct. And then just going back to season two, just to put a, a dig into season two again, um, you do realize that whole season wouldn't have had to have happened if. Girardi had just like taken her mask off in the first episode. Oh said, yeah, I thought that. And said, "Hey, fun. hey, I'm I'm Girardi Borg. 
Um, but I mean, there could be some weird temporal causality thing that she had to let it happen to then be there and stuff. I don't know, but yeah, yeah when you mess with uh, temporal mechanics, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, down to episode ten. Um, the last generation. The last generation. Um, yeah, something that we didn't notice in the episode that a lot of people have noticed is there are scorch marks on the on the. Oh, I noticed of the that. D. I didn't. We we didn't talk about it, so I didn't. No, even, I, didn't I noticed it. that. I just saw it as shadows. I didn't. I sort of noticed. So, as a back. little side note, there at the Maddie knows this, and obviously you guys and girls that are listening don't. I'm building an Enterprise D model, an old AMT one from 1987. Right now, I actually spoke to GCALs who make uh, decals for models. So, I'm going to build that Enterprise D with the enterprise stuff all over the saucer and over the engineering section, I'm going to have the Syracuse markings yeah, and try and do some little burn marks and stuff around the place just, you know, to keep it up there and modern and, you know, pretty cool. Brilliant. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, if you want to see some pictures of that model, let me know and I'll put them up on my socials. Excellent. Um, the last one. So if the queen hadn't lowered her shields as an invitation for Picard to come on board and see everything was happening, she would have won because lowering her shields allowed the D to fly inside. Yes, the I know because we spoke about this at the time, didn't we? Mm. So wow. if she just left the shields up and not let Picard on board, she would have won. Probably, but you know, you know how sometimes like the Borg are very. Like, we're going to win anyway. I know, but this, this, this was her Hail Mary, though. Like, she was the last one left, essentially. She's not learned, has so she? So, she's, yeah, <laughs> she's fully crazy. Uh, oh, we, we covered off on this. The transporter phase that already existed in Gambit. Um, plus, obviously, isolinear tags from, like, insurrection and all that yeah. kind of stuff already exist. Um, the cook, which we spoke about. The guy in grey yep. who was a cook. So, we had time for several scenes with him. The first one where he's like, oh, and I get it because it was Seven inspiring someone to be a good officer showing that she can be a captain. Like, I get that it was a moment for Seven. But we spent all that time with this no-name cook, but we didn't have time for Laris. We didn't have time to wrap up Laris, but we had that, – that, I, reckon, I reckon that cook had more screen time in this episode than Laris did in episode one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not a fan of that. Not that I was a huge fan of Laris, but she's been around from the start. Um, obviously, there was that whole weird thing last season where it was the actress, but it wasn't her. Mm. It was Gary Seven, you know, kind of thing. I was like, mm. I, I, w- I really wish we had have got a very like a proper resolution to the whole Laris thing. Correct. Like, there's been a lot of memes made about that that yeah. I've seen over the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, I went back and watched, we spoke about it in the last episode, Space Dock was actually firing back and did destroy a bunch of ships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which kind of sucks. Oh, it, what choice did it have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I still laugh at Jack's flashback. Like when Picard is like in the collective with him and he's talking about it and Jack has a flashback of like all the wonderful times he's had with his dad. In the last week. In the last week. Like, <laughs> it's just a flashback to this week. And I'm like, oh, really? That's that's what we've... And given that he hated him for the first, like, four episodes? Yeah. Like, what are we... Yeah, wasn't a fan. Like, you think, like, couldn't couldn't Beverly have been in, in the mix there at any point, you know? Like, maybe but, some... But Dad. Yeah. <laughs> the power of penis. The, the, the show is called Picard. True, <laughs> true. Picard. 
Uh, last couple here. There was definitely a re-edit on the final like epilogue scenes of you know the year later and all those bits and pieces. Yeah, because if you go back and look at it, we have the you know we have the couple of scenes. We have the one year later, and that's when we cut to Jean Luc Riker and Geordie on the bridge. Still in their clothes from the finale, like yeah. from the battle, still with the old combat. Because yep. a year later they have the gold combat yes. instead of the sword. So clearly that was a re-edit. They changed stuff at the last minute after they'd shot yep. it, which I get. But then also, then we cut to Seven, who got her promotion before the one year later. Then after the one year later, gets in the ship and only now she's giving her first command they make that whole big thing about what's your line gonna be well because the ship's only just been going through a refit and upgrades so they haven't had a chance to take it out but but after the final battle you see the d and the titan flying in formation next to each other she would have had to have given that order she wasn't so they an make, actual captain at that point was she well maybe she was still a commander um, by rank so i'm just like i don't know i think i would have liked to have seen the other way it was cut and I know a lot of people do have issues with... I mean, it's mostly neckbeards, so I'm not going to give it too much thought, but a lot of people seem to ha- be taking issue with this new running gag of, oh, what's your signature captain line going to be? Like, because they've been doing it in... They've been doing it in Prodigy and been doing it in Lower Decks. Whop me. kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like... Uh, like, it's just a job. Like, these people are really... They just, they're just going to work every day, you know? Uh, maybe maybe hers will be go forth and assimilate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just go forth. Yeah. And uh, the final one of just my notes, I do have a couple of afterthoughts here, but my final one here is at the very, very end in the bar when Picard gives his speech, mm-hmm. he's quoting Brutus from Julius ah, Caesar. It's a Brute. Yeah. The guy that betrayed Caesar and stabbed <laughs> him in the back. That's who Picard chose to quote. I don't know. I don't know. So, you know that uh, scene where they're all playing uh, poker at the end there? Yeah. At the time when we watched the episode, I actually said that that felt to me like it was just the actors just playing and, you know, doing their thing. Yeah. It actually was. Yeah, that makes so sense. So, I, I watched Just it. let the camera run. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. They, they filmed what they actually needed to, which was script. But then Terry and, you know, the rest of the crew let them keep playing for like 45 minutes. Yeah. And they kept the cameras rolling. And all of what we saw there was genuine friends. Yeah. Which and is amazing. I think I did misspeak. Speaking, It's funny you say friends. Remember how I said um, they all like had collective bargaining power and went on and we're all getting paid the same yeah. amount? Yeah. No, I got confused. I was wrong. <laughs> that that was actually the friends from Friends, like the, yeah. t- the TV show Friends. They're the ones that went and did that. Ah. Not, not the Star Trek crew. Right. How did you mix that up? I have no idea. Um, I didn't even know you were a fan of Friends. I'm not. That's the thing. So yeah, It's on TV know. every fucking day here. I know. That <laughs> oh, does my head in. Um, so a couple of final thoughts. Um, Terry Metalis is always on and on about, you know, the budget was so tight. My, you know, money was so tight. Time was so tight. Why did we waste time? We spoke about it before. Why did we waste time with the floaty head communicator? It's just an unnecessary step and... It looked cool. It looked cool, but it's like, we didn't need it. He could have just... Like, the Queen could have just been a staticky, staticky voice on a view screen. Would have been enough. That's true. Um, a little problem with so many... Like, if you think about it, we've never had 
this many Star Trek shows on TV at the same time. So True. a lot of people are pointing out inconsistencies in the timeline just in terms of, well, you know, between... Well, we, we've basically got four different timelines yeah. going at the moment. So we've got Lower Decks timeline, we've got Discovery timeline, Strange New Worlds timeline and Picard timeline. But... All in different eras. Yeah, but they're all, they're all the same timeline. Well, they're the same timeline, but yeah, different eras. different eras. And that's where they're saying the inconsistencies are because it's like when Picard flashes back to like certain, like an episode where, like when it flashes back, remember when Riker was wearing that really ugly uniform? The one with the, with the, the balls weird, and dick. Yeah, yeah. That actually was flashing back to like Lower Decks time. So he should have been in his Lower Decks uniform. Yeah, like, I think that was just after Lower things, Decks. There's little yeah. things like that. Um, and something that I guess is a little bit of a spoiler for you for Prodigy because you haven't seen it yet. In at towards the end of Prodigy, there's a whole episode and we see a functional board cube. Really? And they go on board it. Yeah. So that kind of can I watch all of Prodigy over the next like before Monday? Surely they're only twenty minute episodes. Yeah, and they're not that long, are they? No, there's uh, yeah, it's twenty minute episodes, and there's twenty episodes or something like that. Oh, I guess I know what I'm doing. You'll fall, <laughs> you'll fall asleep during the first five. I guarantee. <laughs> Damn <you>. it. Damn <laughs> it. Um, why didn't the Titan go and help the D shut off the signal quicker? Like while the D was at Jupiter fighting the ball cube, the Titan was not really doing anything productive at space dock. It wasn't really helping. It was just Seven doing some cool battle stuff. Do you think that they were just, like, they didn't want to draw attention to what was going on over there, or? Well, no, I mean, all the ships were basically focused on space dock. Mm. They didn't even really give a shit about the Titan. Every now and then they'd just shoot a blast at it. I get it from a story point of view. You don't want Seven showing up, but it's like, it's a Borg cube. Do you know what would have been really, really helpful? A 20-kilometer wide Borg cube. Yeah, but <laughs> do you know what would have been really, really helpful? A fucking ex-Borg drone, like Seven of Nine, but... They wanted that to be Picard's thing. They so had I, an ex-Borg drone, didn't it. they? <laughs> he didn't fucking do anything, though. Um, and if this signal was being blasted out, pointed at Earth, are you telling me that there's no one under the age of 25 on Space Dock? Why wasn't Space Dock taken over? Why wasn't Space Dock just taken over by all the simulated people on board? Maybe it was. Yeah, and we just... Yeah, that was not But then not why, why, would, why was the fleet firing back at it? Like, why would the... What about on Earth itself? That too... But it's also like, well, the the entire the entire fleet was taken over. Like, even though there were people, I'm on, never going to hear the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> even even though there were people on board who weren't assimilated, all those ships were under control of the collective. Yeah, they were firing on space dock. Are you telling me there's no one under 25 on space dock that could have taken over space dock? And then why was it just Borg firing on Borg? You know what I mean? It seems like the signal only affected the ships. It didn't affect space dock or Earth that we that we know of. Well, yeah, because I'm, I'm sure Space Dock doesn't have the fleet formation stuff in it. But that didn't have anything to do with the, the signal the Borg was coming from. No. Yeah, interesting. And, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, the fleet formation didn't really mean anything because the Borg speak with a hive mind, mm. so they can do fleet formation without anyway. needing the fleet formation yeah. thing. So, again, just an unnecessary step. For a season that we really enjoyed, there's a lot of points yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what if, at the end of the day, I'm like, with all the Vatic stuff, again, a way to simplify it, what if it had just been the 100? 
that we spoke about, the, the hundred yeah, changes. Like, it really could have been. You didn't need to have all the torture stuff and, and insinuating that Starfleet... Uh, I mean, I know it's Section 31 and we never really... I think that's the one thing Iris Stephen Burr probably regrets now is introducing Section 31 because of the way it's... Section been, 31 of the Starfleet Charter the allows them to do whatever they want. Yeah, the way it's been bastardised now. Um, but it's like the idea that, quote-unquote, Starfleet are torturing changelings and stuff like that. I'm like... Just make them the hundred, and they just they weren't part of the Dominion War. They don't like now that you know that, and they could have been working with the Borg. The you know Lars went out and found the rest of the hundred, and found the disabled Borg, and they said, "Hey, we both hate Starfleet. Let's work together." Yeah, could have been a way more simple way to do it. Um, then the Borg could have been the one to give them the the enhancements that they needed to evade detection and infiltrate space dock. Um, that's all they needed. Interesting. So yeah, those are those are my long-winded uh, thoughts. Like I said, I think I'm harsh on it. Very nitpicky. But yeah. Very at the nitpicky. same time, totally understand I a lot of the points. I think because so much, like I wouldn't bother going back and nitpicking through season one and two because there's so much trash there. There's nothing to nitpick. It. There's no good to pull out of it. There is good. There is good to pull out. I don't of know, it. man. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, whereas season three was such a fantastic course correction, just little things like that that I just go, ah, oh, like it was so close to being perfect. It was just, you know, just need a little extra salt, you know, you know what I mean? So um, I just think, yeah, we need to get back to simplifying stuff. Well, here's a question for you, Maddie. Mm. Out of all of the seasons of Star Trek that we've ever seen, yeah, would you, like, there's a lot of seasons. Like, I guess we could add them up if we really wanted to right now. But yeah. would this season be in the top 10 seasons of Star Trek you've ever seen, do nah. you think? No. That's nah. interesting. There'd be, I'd put five seasons of Voyager and five seasons of DS9 above yeah. it any day of the week. Yeah, fair enough. And look, I'm the first one that there's some of the early seasons. Like, season one of DS9, there's about two episodes I rewatch in that. Like, if, yeah, I, wanted, if I want to do a rewatch, I'll watch Emissary, Dax, Duet, and... Uh, in the hands of the prophets. Oh, like, and if That's I'm it. totally honest as well, like there's a lot of next generation that I generally just don't go back and deliberately yeah. watch either. Specifically season one. Yeah. And there's... like, even with Stargate SG one, which, you know, is a show that's very close to my heart. Like mm. a lot of season one, I don't go back and watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there are some, you know, trash episodes. Yeah. Because shows are finding their feet. Exactly. They're trying to figure stuff out. So I guess in a way it's, it's hard to judge this one because, it really is a first season. It is, it's a, yes. It's a new showrunner, all that kind of stuff. So it's like if this had had, if this was season one of this show, imagine what we could have gotten by season three. This is you know? essentially probably the backdoor pilot to season one of yeah, you know, whatever they're going to call Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm still not sold on. Um, it probably on won't Captain be Seven. Next, yeah, but yeah. Oh, you know what I'd like to happen: the first episode of you know, legacy or whatever they're going to call it, mm. we see a new ship, a new Enterprise. Yeah. So we, we're we up to the, what? I mean, you know me, I don't even... I don't even Enterprise need a, H. I don't even need an Enterprise. It could be something else. Give her the Voyager C. It could be completely different. <laughs> I would actually would have loved a Titan show. I want to yeah. see, see a Lunar class vessel. I think they're a beautiful ship that's yeah, never like really them. seen um, a much screen time. I'd love to see a live action Lunar class ship. Um. Yeah, have and you know, grab Sydney LaForge, grab in some uh, Lieutenant Mura and Esma. Um, fuck the rest of them, you know. Um, well, we can't have Devine, and no, can't have Devine, and yeah. Um, 
So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for the future. I mean, we've got season two of um, Strange New Worlds coming. On the 15th of June. A lot of people hate that more than I realised. Um, yeah. yeah, there I are think, a lot. I think because if you're a fan of the original series, it's hard to buy into, but I've never really been a fan of the original series. so I've watched them all, don't get me um, wrong, and there are a couple of episodes I do really like from the original series. But when when you grew up on watching like The Next Generation, and it is hard. Like th- there's a yeah, there's a whole generation now that are growing up watching Discovery, and that's their first Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Like for them to go back and watch The Next Generation now, that would be hard. I think. Yeah, and it's the same. If if fucking Paramount decided next week, you, you know what? We're going to we're going to do a uh, series. Uh, it's going to be a prequel series to Deep Space Nine, and you're going to see it's going to be called Empok Nor, and you're going to see Empok Nor during. Uh, sorry, Terok Nor. Terok Nor, you mix them up all the time. <laughs> all the time. Well, they're so close. <laughs> and there's literally an episode called Empok Nor. Uh, we're going to do a series called Terok Nor, and you're going to see Terok Nor during the Bajoran occupation. And then they play the show, and DS9 slash Terok Nor is all like. <laughs> polished concrete floors and doesn't look anything like the DS9 that we know, we'd have issues with that. Yeah. So I understand people who grew up on the original series seeing the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds going, well, how is that in five years suddenly supposed to look like it does when Kirk's in command, given that also, you know, DS, DS9 and Voyager both, oh, and Next Generation, all went back to that to that bridge. Well, even, that bridge exists. Even watching like the JJ movies, yeah. As well, like if your first Star Trek is the JJ movies, I can see why people actually really like that. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, if, I've I've always said they are great. They are great movies. They are great sci-fi yes. movies. They are not great Star Trek movies. Yeah, they're not great to the Star Trek that we know and yeah. love. But yeah, that they are they are good movies. Yeah. I'll give them that. It lost me at the end of the first one where like Nero's ship is like falling into the wormhole gravity well, whatever it is, and Kirk goes out and says hails him, Hey, can we be of assistance? You know, blah blah blah. And Nero goes, get fucked. And Kirk goes, Okay, let's help them. Fire torpedoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no way, a Starfleet <laughs> officer says, let's just help kill them quicker then. <laughs> yeah. Get fucked. Uh, so, but yeah, great sci-fi films, terrible Star Trek films. But yeah, like looking at Strange New Worlds, which, you know, as you and I have spoken about, mm. we will probably do Making It So. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think for so. For that. Yeah. You know, and we're going to keep the name Making It So as well. Like, Unfortunately. I would like to change it, but yeah, our, bo- our boss Mitch says this is the way it's got to be done. It's his channel. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I think we could convince him to change it if we wanted to, but yeah. I actually like making it. So I'd love to change it to punch it or something like that. Just <laughs> <laughs> Could that be Seven's new tagline? Punch it. Well, no, that's Pikes, isn't it? Well, it could be, yeah. Um, oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it that, is. I think he says punch it. He does, yeah. Punch it, Chewy. Yeah. All right. Mm. Yeah, I have to go back. I'm really going to go back and rewatch the first season of Strange New Worlds. I have everything except for the the fairy tale episode. All right, so here's one, and I know, I haven't discussed this with Maddie at all. So before mm. Strange Worlds, a Strange New World season two, yeah, should you and I potentially go back and do an episode like this, just as our thoughts on the season? Oh, just one, like a, as a primer, a retrospective primer type of thing. We could. I don't know if we're going to have time because for the first two weeks of Strange New Worlds, I'm not going to be here. Well, so. 
June fi- Thursday, June fifteenth is when it comes out in the states, and for us that will be June sixteenth on the yeah. Friday. So, depending on Maddie's, you know, timetable of what he's got going on in his life, and obviously what I've got going on in my life, like I'd like mm. to see if we can do like a primer for season one. But as we've spoken about before, Maddie won't be here for the first episode. First two. First, oh, the first two, is it? Yeah. So I thought I, it was the first one. I thought my friend was flying out on the 25th, Sunday the 25th, in the morning. He doesn't fly out till the Monday. So the third week it's on, yeah. <laughs> Maddie and I are going to spend, we're probably going to be up very late then. Yeah. I'll, we'll and try gonna, and, maybe we'll try and take the day off work and uh, we'll start at lunchtime. Yeah, why not? Why not? We can do that. And uh, yeah, try and catch up. So yeah, I've just got a very, very full two weeks uh, with uh, a friend coming this day and going to be down in Sydney and doing lots of touristy stuff um, the week Strange New World starts. But yeah, Maddie and I are definitely, we're planning on doing Strange New World season two. Yeah. yeah, We've had really good feedback, I think, from this season that we've done. Mm. Uh, We've brought a few new people onto the channel as well. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've, been speaking to a lot of our fans, actually. They've been yeah, DMing nice. me heaps, which is great. Yeah, sweet. Um, I don't know if you've had a few talking about it as well. Yeah, we haven't yeah, really spoken few, about I've had that. a few slip in. Yeah, no slip. nudes, which I'm disappointed no about. No nudes? No. We'll see what we can organise. Yeah, Send obviously, Maddie obviously nudes. Obviously not paying attention enough. Yeah. You know, if you're going to submit my DMs, have nudes ready to go. <laughs> uh, anyway, so look, overall, I enjoyed this entire season of uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3. I really did. It was very nostalgic for me. Mm. I got to see a lot of my favourite uh, characters back on screen again. Yeah. I got to see a lot of my personal favourite actors on screen again. Like uh, like Riker was always one of my favourite characters of The Next Generation because, you know, he got to go off and do all of the, uh, like, all the away missions, really. Yeah. But uh, one other thing I forgot to mention during Mm -hmm. this as well. So do you remember back in, was it Nemesis, where Data, and they're out on the, that car thing out on the planet after it's come out of the Argo. Argo, yeah. I will always be puzzled by the human uh, predilection for piloting vehicles at unsafe velocities. Yeah. That now, the look on Data's face as he's piloting the (laughs) Enterprise D because he's essentially human now. That yeah. to me is that's beautiful, yeah. and just only fans recognize that stuff. And yeah. Yeah, that that's what this whole season was about for me. It was it was fan service, the whole thing. Oh and, yeah, and absolutely. Terry just nailed it. And yeah. I really, really am very thankful to Terry Metalis and his whole crew for coming up with what yeah. they did. I think I think he did a great job course correcting the mistakes that were made season one, season two. Like obviously we had a day to death in Nemesis, had another day to death at the end of season one mm-hmm. and it found a way to not have to retcon that but then give us a satisfying ending for Data. Like, if I don't see Data ever again, that's fine because, like... Well, in the books, Data actually ended up being the captain of the Enterprise G. Yeah, well, I guess that's... Uh, that's no and the Enterprise G was supposed no to be a thing. lot more... Like a lot bigger than the Enterprise E, so. Yeah. Well, I guess it's very rare that any of the books are canon and stuff like oh, that. So, not, yeah. um, but it's still a good read, though. A lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Christy Golden's my favorite. She writes some fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, so it's like I feel like this was a, a better send off to all those characters uh, than definitely than, than either Nemesis or 
I mean, I still don't get me wrong. I still teared up a little bit at the end of season one with Data's death. Like oh, his, definitely. You know, that was that hit hard. But then you go back and watch it now compared to season three, and you're like, oh, even just the way he looks, you're just like, oh, that's rough. That <laughs> he just rough. got old. Yeah, you're just like, <laughs> oh. Like just the the weird CG that they did to his face, to try and make him look younger and all that kind of mm. stuff. It was just like, oh. Um, so yeah, I think it's it very much um, much more enjoyable than than one and two. I had my problems with it, but I don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. It's there was a lot there was a lot to enjoy. Look, when we started this, I was actually concerned that Maddie was really going to hate it because you know he can be very hateful about these. Oh things. yeah, I I, <laughs> I have I have unreasonably high standards sometimes, especially yeah. with, especially with Trek. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it did lose me during the middle there. Uh, there was a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, I started and to I get guess, worried. And I guess you know, I thought I, I was going to be doing this show by myself. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to be someone who hate watches something. It's like I only like doing these kind of things on things I enjoy. Mm. So, but there was enough. There was enough in this season for me to want to come back every week and talk about it, um, because there were there were enjoyable. In every episode, had enjoyable moments. Absolutely, without a fact, without a doubt. Um, but a lot of those ones in the middle. There was a lot of downs. <laughs> yeah, they, they did lose you for a bit. Yeah. Well, actually, a good channel for people, if they haven't seen it, on Facebook to go watch. I can't remember what the channel is called, but they the guy talks about the ups and downs of each episode. Oh, yeah. Is that uh, Trek Culture? I yeah, think? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. He, he actually does a really good job of breaking yeah, down each fantastic. episode as well. Yeah, yeah. He's really, really good. So, no, it's good. Just while we're here, I'm going to quickly run through the IMDb list ratings for each of the episodes very quickly. Okay. So uh, the first episode of season three, The Next Generation's currently sitting at 8.4. Disengage, 8.2. 17 seconds, 8.5. No Win Scenario is a nine. Imposters is a nine. The Bounty, a nine. Dominion, an 8.2. That actually surprises me a little bit. I thought that would have been up around the nine as well. But, you know. Dominion was my least favorite episode. Yeah, was, like... Yeah. Yeah, Surrender, 8.7. Vox, 9.4. And The Last Generation, 9.4. Yeah. Like, that's not surprising that those last two episodes did get the highest ratings either. Yeah, they, you know, that gave everybody all their... Um, so I think uh, a lot of people... Nostalgia. A lot of, like, older fans didn't really give Picard Season 3 a fair go, considering... People had checked out. I know, they didn't like Season know, 1 and 2. I know hardcore fans who just refused. They was like, Season 1 sucked. They went... Okay, and then season two started strong with um with all the Stargazer yes, stuff and and the alternate timeline in the second episode where Seven's president and all that kind of stuff. Once they went back in time, that's when it lost everything. And then people were just like, you know what? I'm sick of being in this abusive abusive relationship with Star Trek. So they didn't even give season three a chance. And season three was, you know, uh, a much much better um season. Um, I really wish they didn't kill off uh, Cristobal. Fucking Rios. Yeah. Um, but wow. something something I heard He's, about him. Well, just before you just before you um, move on to that, I was just looking at the um, IMDb ratings for season one and two. Oh, here we go. Uh, so season one running through 8.2, 7. 7.3, 7.4, 7.2, 6.9. Oh, damn. That's the Stardust City rag. That's the one that I was talking about yep. where, you know, Picard's in the in the beret in the um, eye patch. Uh, 7.8. 8.3, 7.7, 7.2, 7.6, 7. 
But season two, ouch. Yeah, season two copped it, didn't 7. it? 7.9, 7.9. They're the Terry Metallus episodes. Not bad. Then we go 7, 6. 6.4, 6.5, 6.1, 5.4, 6.1, 5.6, and 6.8. Like, the people have spoken, hey? Yeah. 5.4 looks to be episode seven, Monsters. And based on the screenshot, that's the episode where young Guinan has the um, the magical bottle that summons Q. Yes. Yeah, people didn't oh, like that. How did we not mention Q's back again? Well, we mentioned it we last did, episode. But I enjoyed that. That to me was great. And, mm. you know, a few people I've spoken to have been like, but yeah, why? I'm like, well, yeah, you thinking linearly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did go back and watch uh, the last episode of... Um, well, before we, I started this rewatch, I went back and watched episode one and two of season two, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. Skip, and then went and watched the last episode, which was, oh, that was rough to get through. And yeah, I still felt the the whole Q death thing was a little hollow for me. There was a couple of nice moments, but I just, I still don't understand the why of it all. Um well, I, I guess they essentially thought that season two was going to be the end. No, it was always going to be three seasons. Was it? Yeah. So why do it then? Because you've got to remember, Terry Metallus wrote episodes. Like he was, he had nothing to do with season one. No. They brought him on for season two with the intention of handing over the reins. So he basically had season two to learn the ropes because Michael Chabon was moving on to become showrunner for <laughs> this was Strange New Worlds. Yeah. So it was like... Here's us. We're gonna we're gonna work together for season two and set you up for success. And then you're gonna take it over and run it by yourself. So he was basically co-showrunner for season two, and then Marcus Bond left to do Strange New Worlds yeah. and left season three. I reckon there would have been some spicy conversations behind the scenes there. Mm. Like, come on, guys, this is not the way I want to run season three. Like, come on. And then yeah, as soon as he got hold of those reins, fucking yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what was so for season three, Maddie? What mm. was your if you were to say there is one takeaway scene or point from the entire season that for you was the best thing about it? Oh, he, he's got a smirk on his fucking face here. You've, it's gonna be something. You've got. Have to I know. opened up a fucking can of worms? No, you've got to know what it is. What is it? It's seven talking about Voyager. Yeah. Okay. That's that's your one. Yeah. What's the the line she uses? It um made not made its bones, but made its made its name further out than any of these yeah. other any of these other relics. Just her, just sitting back, just reminiscing, seeing the shot of Voyager. That that gave that, you that feeling. That made it worthwhile. For yeah. Me. Okay. So so the feeling for me um, that really summed up the whole feeling for me was when they showed the Enterprise D for the first time in this season. When they yeah when they go back yeah, to the that as those lights come on yeah and you get to see the D and it was and very it's there. and we've you know we've established that you know Terry obviously a big fan of the original series movies as well. Um, it was very reminiscent of those original series films, oh, yeah. you know, of, of when, you know, Kirk and his crew were in the little shuttle pod and, you know, they go to space dock and uh, remember, I think it might even be Undiscovered Country or whatever. It is, and it's like they're, they see the, the Excelsior. They go, oh, geez, she's big. And they go, yeah, we're not taking that. And they sort of turn and then there's the A Enterprise sort of sitting a, yeah. there and they all kind of get real nostalgic about it. It's very much that. So... Yeah, and being someone who's not as connected to Next Generation as you are, like I can see why that would be your moment. And it's like if I got that moment, like if I had a moment where there's like 
Seven, Janeway, Chicote, Harry, and Balana all on a shuttle and like entering and suddenly Voyager gets lit up. I would be a blubbering mess. What what is the first Star Trek you actually ever remember seeing? I can tell you the episode. Oh, okay. It was Star Trek Voyager, season four, episode Message in a Bottle. Yeah, right. First episode of Star Trek I ever watched. The very first Star Trek memory that I have, because mm. it would have been, I can't even remember the name of the movie now. The one where there's all the dead Klingons in the space station. And you see the blood, like, and it's all purple and stuff. Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country. That is my first yeah. memory of Star Trek ever. Interesting. Like, I can't. It's probably not the first episode of Star Trek I ever mm. watched or movie that I ever watched. But that is no, I was that I is was, the first memory that I have of it. I was a Star Wars fan and my only connection to Trek was people that would make fun of it in pop culture. Like I think there might be an episode of The Simpsons where you see like the Enterprise in a bird of prey, uh, like a Klingon bird of prey, like on wires on a cardboard set and they're making fun of it. And that was what I thought Star Trek was. Um, as a kid, I remember people running around with like girls running with with headbands over their over their eyes, not mm. knowing that they were being George of the yeah. Forge. You know, um, the Undiscovered Country came out in 1991. Yeah, so yeah, that tracks what we were what, seven. Yeah, so um, but yeah, no, mine was uh, a guy we went to school with introduced me to Star Trek, and I remember being at um, being at my family's uh work because that was where i had to do my babysitting like you know on school holidays and stuff like that it was a little office at the back with a vcr i remember and there was a video shop right next door and he decided i was like okay show me an episode of this fucking star trek because he kept talking on going on and on about it so I'm like you choose an episode um and yeah he chose the vhs set that had waking moments and message in a bottle on it and we fast forwarded through waking moments <laughs> and then watched message in a bottle with um Andy Dick, Robert Picardo. The kids out there the now pr- are like, what's this the tape Prometheus stuff that yeah. you're talking about? Um, and I was interested. I went, yeah, you know what? And I didn't go back and watch it chronologically. I, you know, I was advised like, oh, I'll try this episode, try this episode. Watch bits here and there, yeah. And within about five episodes, I was hooked. And I still don't know that I ever was able to go back and do it all chronologically until I got the DVDs because you'd go to the video shop and that tape wouldn't be there. You know, I'd go there going, okay, I've, I've watched, you know, even because it was 1.1, 1.2, yep. 1.3, and there was two episodes for per VHS. I, re- I remember when, like, Voyager was coming out on VHS, like you and I, and, you know, sometimes, like, me and, yeah, one of my other friends or whatever, we would go all the way into the Maya Center in the city yeah. for the week when it was released so we could get the... Yeah, it's like once a month or once a fortnight, a new tape, video yeah. would come out with two episodes. And I remember, yeah, like renting them from the the video shop because they would get them first and then not being able to actually physically buy it. Yeah, because like us here in Australia, we didn't get this stuff show no. all the time on the free-to-air television. No. And yeah, we like we didn't have cable TV and stuff growing up. Yeah, no, it was, it was expensive. It was, you know... 40 bucks. I mean, it's funny now you look back and you go, well, we're paying more than that now because it was, say it was 40 or 50 bucks a month for Foxtel. All our parents would be like, that's too expensive. Fuck that. No yeah, way. Exactly. But now if you think about and 10 bucks a month for Netflix is fine. But suddenly when you're doing Netflix, Paramount Dis- Plus, Disney Plus, Disney Plus, Paramount. Uh, yeah, I'm spending um, about 50 bucks a month on all them together. I, I, I spent about 35. I do, I do Disney, Stan and Netflix. And then I sponge the rest off friends. The only one I don't have is Binge. 
And I HBO s- Max. Or well, HBO Max is on binge, isn't it, here? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's not everything, but yeah, you can't get HBO Max in Australia. And now it's just going to be called Max. They've changed this whole thing. It's it's um, it's merged with um, Discovery Channel. Um, but yeah, the closest we can get is binge. And yeah, I, I, I scum that off, Mitch. Of course you do. Um, the only one that I don't scum, and there's a few shows that I would like to see on there that I can't, is um, Apple TV. But I'm such a non-Apple person that... Um okay. So anyway, look, that's about it from us for, you know, this season of Picard. Yeah. You know, so, yes, next we will be talking about uh, Strange New Worlds. So until then, what's your uh, socials, Matty? Uh, at High Pitch Matty on Instagram and Twitter. I'm very rarely on Twitter, but it's uh, H-I-G-H-P-I-T-C-H. M A T T Y. You say you're very rarely on Tinder, uh, Twitter, Tinder. <laughs> oh, I, 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 thought, I thought you said Titter. And I was like, oh, tell me about. It, it was a mixture between Tinder and fucking tell Twitter. Tell me about Titter. <laughs> I was just on Tinder this morning. Um, anyway, so, and my socials are at Geek in Camo. You know, feel free to reach out. If there's stuff that you want to hear us talk about, with Star Trek, let us know. Mm. Like we're happy to do little uh, specials here and there. I guess you know, keeping in mind that both Maddie and I do have a life. You know, some of us more than others. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be Maddie having more of a life than me. We don't know. It depends on the week. <laughs> anyway, until we see we'll see the next episodes, or we do a retrospective potentially on season one of yeah. Strange New Worlds, we're out of here. Bye. Get into geek.